Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fucking knots? What the fuckaholics? What the fuck are Ricans? What the fuck are Mullins? What the fuck are Nux? What the fuckstables? What the fuckasaurs? All right. The list goes on. It goes on. 300 episodes. 300 episodes of WTF I have put out into the world. This is the 300th one. So I haven't quite put 300 out yet. By the time you finish this, it will be 300. This is a, a, a monumental moment because it is uh, has two zeros at the end of it. I, I had to think a lot about how I was going to do this episode. Some of you were expecting like, oh, it's going to be the most. He's going to interview somebody that was dead. He's going to get Bill Hicks on the show. Richard Pryor is going to be on WTF on the 300th episode. Lorne Michaels will come out special to come to my garage. The truth of the matter is there are no interviews necessarily that would be a 300th episode. All my interviews are, are are special in their in their own right. This is not necessarily uh, or in any way a celebrity driven show. It is a, it is a conversation show. That is my way of telling you that lower your expectations in terms of the big get for the 300th because that's not the way it's going to go. But the truth of the matter is is that this is my 300th episode and where I'm at today is much different than where I was at when I started this show. I had no fucking idea, folks. I had no idea that this would become what it has become. I had no idea that I would be a small business owner. That was not part of my plan. And it's weird because of where I'm at now with the podcast, because the podcast has become popular and has become profitable to a degree. It's pretty exciting that this thing has taken off. It's exciting that it's successful and it does make money. It was a medium that people weren't making money in before. And I have to be honest with you. I have found sort of a thrill in making some money off of this thing. I never understood the entrepreneurial spirit. I never understood uh, what what they talk about when they say invest in small business or, 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 uh, or, or you should um, do your business at a, a mom and pop shop. It wasn't until I owned a mom and pop shop, me being the pop and maybe one of my cats being the mom, but but there is a pride to it. I do feel like I'm putting out something that is unique and I'm proud of it and it, and it speaks uh, from my heart and that people dig it. And any money I get from that, I feel like it's an honest dollar. But I did get an interesting email that I want to share with you at the beginning of the show just to to quell any fears I don't know if they were fears, but but this was an interesting take on something and was provocative to me because I, I wouldn't have thought about it this way. Dear Mark, and this uh, the subject line says a conservative fan. Dear Mark, I just listened to your Gilda's Laugh Fest episode and I just had to write you about your political comments during that show. I've been listening to your podcast for a while and every so often you'll tell us your political views. I'd like to bring you over to the dark side, but I know that quoting Milton Friedman or pointing out that you are a living, breathing, Randian capitalist superhero who pioneered a new artistic medium simultaneously while inventing a new business model won't sway you. But I know what will eventually convince you that capitalism is the only ethical political system giving you money i just bought a bunch of merch on your website your show is great and i'm a huge fan good luck on the new tv show john 
I don't know that I'd consider myself a Randian capitalist or whether or not uh, I uh, would go along with any sort of a Milton Friedman-esque analysis of my show. But I I am, uh, given uh, what I come from and given what I came from, I'm very happy to be making money. But don't be so quick to call me a conservative. I'm not in that tax bracket, my friend, but I appreciate the input. So what are we going to do on this show? I decided to to talk about you, you know where I'm at now with the show and also to bring guests in that uh, reflect where the show is at and, and, and where it's come from to some degree. On this show today, I'm going to uh, get on the phone with Nathan Rabin from the uh, Onion AV Club, who's been very supportive of the medium of podcasting and certainly supportive of my show. I'm going to have a conversation with Jesse Thorne, who is the host of Bullseye, and he's the, uh, the, uh, the, the king of the Maximum Fun uh, podcast network. And he, he started me in this racket in a lot of ways. He set me up here, and I, I, I owe him for that. He, he doesn't seem to think I owe him as much as I think I owe him, but uh, he did teach me how to use my microphones. And then I thought it would be interesting to talk to a podcaster who was inspired by my podcast to start his own. And uh, for that, I chose Pete Holmes. And some of you know my relationship with Pete. Some of you know how deeply and uh, genuinely Pete annoys me. He's a funny guy. He's a bright guy. And, and, and not unlike many of my shows, having Pete in here to talk about how I influenced him or inspired him to do a podcast or, or, or steal mine, as he says, uh, does provide a little bit of that, that, that tension that you've all grown to, uh, to love and expect uh, from a Mark Marin guest. Did I just say my name in a third person? I believe I did. Uh, and then finally, uh, I'm going to talk to Andy Kindler, who I love and who I've loved forever. Uh, for as long as I remember doing comedy after seeing Andy Kindler, I've always loved Andy, Andy Kindler. We've had our ups and downs, but I got to be honest with you, out of all the cats in my immediate world, uh, Andy Kindler loves my show. And he, he, he talks to me about it. He loves listening to it. So I thought that I would interview a, a member of my community that uh, just loves the show and talk to him about that. So that's the plan for this show. But I want to assuage some fears and talk about Uh, about where I'm at. Uh, I think the show is going well. I think that it has gotten into a groove that that has grown well beyond me. And I want to tell you a couple of things that that I do that you might not know I do. Uh, One is that, you know, I love almost every interview I do. And I honestly learn something from almost every interview I do. And I I can tell you moments that have changed my life from these conversations. And, and I'll be honest with you. Once I have the conversation with the person in the garage or on the road or wherever I have that, I rarely, if at all, listen to the completed podcast. My memory is of the conversation I had with a human being. And a lot of times people come up to me and they say things like, that thing you said to, what's his name, in episode 12, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I, I gotta remember that. So my experience remains uh, human. I rely on my memory the, yeah, I, that's how I hold these conversations. So a lot of times I will get things, you know, like a, a lesson I learned from Stuart Lee about audiences or something I learned from Sarah Benacasa about parents. I like, I'm always listening, you know, for a new perspective on, on comedy, on life, on art, on, uh, on, on existing in the world and trying to get by. And these conversations have changed my life. And I know that a, a lot of the, uh, you have been changed by them. And I, and I completely appreciate that. And it was far beyond anything I knew would happen with this show. I get hundreds and hundreds of emails from people who express their gratitude for how much this show has helped them through a dark time, changed their perspective on things, uh, you know, help them manage a, a drinking or drug problem or help them, you know, wake up to 
to what comedy is capable of or, or treat their their peers better or their or their spouses better. But another thing that I, I, I've learned to do in doing this show is that I I no longer care as much about my experience in in the conversation. Uh, it took a couple hundred episodes for me to realize that if I walk away from a conversation with a guest that I didn't feel like my emotional needs are met or I didn't feel like I got to something or I should have done it this way or should have done it that way, that I don't really talk about that with you guys because it it's my experience and you're going to have your experience with the conversation. I know a lot of times I'm speaking to people that you people have relationships with, you know, either through media or through their work. And just the experience of hearing them talk is, is something uh, that you wouldn't have heard before. So I don't bring my baggage to you in that way. I wanted you to know that, that you know, if you think I'm, I'm selfish or self-involved or, or this is all about me, it, it really isn't that uh, I guess I'm tooting my own horn in that I'm, I'm keeping some shit to myself and I, and I want you to know that. So in that way, and in many other ways, this show remains vital to me because my heart has, has opened up over the, over the arc of the th- these 300 episodes. And I'm very able to, uh, to listen, to care, to laugh, to uh to to be there for somebody else uh, in these conversations and in my life and that would not have happened without this show and i don't see it as as diminishing at all i know some of you have have expressed some fear or some worry that perhaps that if i get content or if i become happier that uh, there's going to be a a problem with the output of the show that uh, you know maybe uh, you know i'll lose my edge if I find any peace of mind or contentment or happiness or money, I, I just don't see that as a threat. You know, we all have good periods and bad periods. And, and be, previous to this show, I'd had some good periods. They may not have lasted long, but I had them. And, and also, you should take in mind that I am on the precipice of something that I've never been before. I, I've never sold tickets as a stand-up comic previous to, to, uh, to the WTF uh, uh, reality. I, you know, I, I'm writing a book that I, I'm very nervous about because I'm very busy and I want to put the right amount of time into it. I wrote a book before, but the stakes were not as high. Some of you know, most of you, that because of this show, uh, not only do I, I now sell tickets, but I've gotten an opportunity from IFC to make 10 episodes of a scripted half hour comedy based on my life. I've never had that experience before. I've never you know, been in this position before to do that. Who knows what's going to happen? What I'm telling you now is just because I may have this brief interlude of happiness and engagement and finally arriving at a place where not only is my my art or my comedy in, in a good place and the best place it's ever been, but, uh, but now I have opportunities that I never had before. <laughs> so you should know enough about me to know that not that's making me a, a bit anxious and a bit frightened, but I'll tell you one thing that's gone. I'm not going to fuck it up on purpose. I'm not going to let the part of me that likes to fuck things up to protect myself do that. But I don't know what's going to happen. And knowing that, there's no reason that I, I couldn't spiral down into a mess. It's not out of the question that I could fuck everything up. But one thing I can tell you now, having done this show for so long, having done it for 300 episodes and having grown you know, as a person with this show and with you listeners, is that I think... That if it doesn't work out the way I want it to, or if everything does go wrong, or if the worst happens, 
if the worst that could happen happens, that, that I can probably handle it and I can cope with it and I can adjust to it and I can accept it because that is something I was never able to do, any of those things, without beating the shit out of myself, uh, judging other people or making it worse. And all of that happened because of this show, because you people enjoyed this show and because people wanted to talk to me. And I'm thrilled that you people love this show and I'm thrilled about this 300 episode. And now I'm going to talk to some other people about WTF and about, you know, where we go from here and, and where it fits into the world. Like, I don't really think past this microphone. I know there's a lot of you out there, but I don't think about that number. I don't always think about, you know, what you, what you want or what you don't want. I, I just, I stay in the moment as much as I can. And a lot of times I, I don't have a clear idea of how it affects people until I start hearing from you, which I appreciate. I just want to hear some, some outside input as to you know, what WTF means, what it means to others, what it means in a cultural context. And I think that the best way to do that uh, right now is to go to this phone conversation I had with Nathan Rabin over at the Onion AV Club. Nathan Rabin, am I pronouncing yes. it right? Uh, yes, yes, very much so. I've never talked to you in my life, but God knows we have a relationship. Yeah. I was, I was not previously aware of that. Well, I, uh, I'm assuming that you uh, are obviously aware of my work and I, too, of yours. So, in my mind, that's a relationship. Oh, totally, totally. And I think you kind of have a relationship with everybody who listens to your podcast. Uh, but I feel like it's sort of an inherently one-sided relationship where everybody knows everything about you. Uh, you a little bit less so about uh, everybody who listens to you. But oddly, a little bit more so about you, at least what you offer me through your writing. But you are absolutely right in that. I, I do uh, find that my, my fans approach me with a, a very deep and almost uh, sometimes troubling notion of who I am. Oh, totally. And I'm, I'm kind of a bit of a, a grotesque emotional exhibitionist. Um, at least I was in my memoir. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so anybody who's read my book knows everything about me. Um, yeah, other people, a, a little bit less so. So what, what would you say your position is over there? Are you, are you like, uh, in, in terms of the AV club, I, can, I, I consider you the main guy. Can I call you the main guy? Well, <laughs> that is incredibly, incredibly kind uh, and also incredibly inaccurate. Uh, and that I'm the head writer. Uh, so I kind of control the things that I write and uh, not so much what other people write. But does that mean that you uh, you look over other people's stuff and say, uh, maybe you should do this, uh, this isn't happening, and that kind of thing? No, it's not like 30 Rock at all. Um, <laughs> I think I'm the head writer uh, solely because they don't want to let me near anybody else's prose. Uh-huh. Uh, I like to say that I'm, I'm celebrating 13 years without a promotion. Uh-huh. I'm the only person who... Um, I've never made an editor, uh, and that's because I'm a product of the Chicago public school system. Uh, so my grammar and my spelling uh, and everything else related to the English language is pretty terrible. Is it? Yeah, apparently, apparently. I, 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 until it's sort of like, you know, polished and buffered and like made palatable for public consumption. I have the same problems. I, I you know, I have the same problems. I think I got good ideas and I can execute them. But, uh, you know, what, what happens in between the larger words are, is not necessarily the right words to use in terms of uh, just simple stuff, grammar and whatnot. Uh, oh, totally. And my and my uh, my wife, uh, I just got married. She uh, was an English teacher, uh, so she has a much 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 uh, greater grasp of pretty much everything relating to the English language uh, mm -hmm. than I do, which is, uh, can be a little bit humbling at times. 
Well, I understand. I, it sounds like you married the right woman. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I definitely married the right woman. Yeah, we actually just got married two weeks ago. Congratulations. Uh, so, it's, so, yes, so it's, it's, it's kind of new, 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 in my, new in my mind. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you've been a tremendous uh, supporter of the, uh, the medium of podcasting and certainly a, a supporter of mine, which I appreciate. When, when was the first time that you started listening to podcasts? I mean, before, was it before WTF? Uh, I think it might have been just before WTF. I remember the first podcast that I really listened to was Never Not Funny, uh, and then Comedy uh, Death Ray, I guess it was called at the time, and that was kind of an entryway into WTF. Um, and yeah, I remember just listening to WTF uh, for the first time and sort of feeling um, this sort of visceral truth uh, that is so incredibly rare anywhere in pop culture. Um, and it just kind of opened this world uh, to me where it was okay to talk about the darkness in the world. It was okay to talk about the ugly side of humanity. Um, and I think because you were so incredibly open uh, about just kind of like uh, exposing your scars, uh, exposing your ugliness to the world, it sort of made me, and I would imagine all of your listeners, feel a little bit better about our own ugliness, made us feel a little less alone, uh, felt us, made us feel a little less alienated um, and detached from the world around us. Well, that I well, I'm, I'm flattered, and, and I certainly appreciate that, and and I think that yeah, I, it, that wasn't you know what I wrote down of the, the that wasn't the list of things I wanted to do when I started the podcast, but I, I, I'm certainly glad it has that effect. Like I when when people say you know things like that, you know I'm I'm so glad that that people find comfort in what I'm doing. But it's interesting when I started it, I I just I all I wanted to do was get myself out there. I I felt like. I needed, I felt that my voice was valid and that whatever I'd done in my life to get me onto a mic, that was what I would bring to it. And it's, it's very odd because I don't think that how I talk or, or how I engage is, uh, is necessarily, uh, you know, unusual. But, but as I do it more, I realize that there is sort of a craving, uh, for, for some sort of, uh, organic conversation and also just frank conversation. And I think people, I, I just, that's always been the way I've talked to people, which might speak to why I don't have a lot of close friends. You know, it's draining in a way. Right. Well, I think part of it is, you know, you listen to a talk show, especially a television talk show, uh, sort of people sort of engaging in socially mandated, uh, charades. You know, the host is pretending to be interested in the guest, uh, so that they can get, you know, eight minutes of television and the guest can promote their, uh, product um, and that's you never get that sense with WTF. You never get the sense that you're interested in somebody as an entertainer or as somebody with something to move. You get the sense that you're interested in humanity and you're interested in your shared humanity. You're interested in where you overlap. You're interested in where you clash. You're interested in kind of how you can see the world um, from such kind of antithetical places yet share this thing that everybody shares, which is being human. Well, I, I, I think that that's, uh, that's the best I can do. I, I think that, that, uh, that because of this medium, it wasn't going to happen anywhere else. Now, when you, when you talk about, and, and you listen to a lot of podcasts, and I know you've, uh, you, you've gotten on to Gil Martin's, and there's a lot of podcasting going on. I mean, how do you, what do you think the, you've stated some of what you think about the importance of the medium, 
But what do you think in the broad, you know, in the broad sense outside of my podcast? This was the first time I think that any of us have really witnessed. We we all sort of thought that the internet, in terms of creating new things or having some sort of explosion of uh, of content that was unique, was probably behind us. And now, you know, we see it happening in a very big way with podcasts. So where do you see the medium going? Well, um, I think that's an interesting uh, question. I think kind of the medium right now is at sort of a crossroads where there are people like yourself uh, and Comedy Bang Bang who are kind of um, sort of leveraging the enormous popularity um, and visibility of your podcast into television shows and to different things. I know uh, Nerdist just had a couple of specials on, on the BBC. So I think it's a very interesting uh, sort of um, crossroads where it's sort of like stand-up comedy in the 1980s, where it can be a means to an end. It can be a way of getting your name out there. It can be a way of getting your own television show. Um, but it can also be an art form uh, in its own sense. And I feel like that's one of the things that your podcast has illustrated, that podcasting is an art form in and of itself, that it's connected to stand-up comedy. It's connected to sketch comedy. It's connected to talk shows. But it also has this sort of freedom and the sort of intimacy and the sort of openness, especially at this point, where there aren't a lot of people making a great deal of money off of it, where there aren't a lot of rules. There isn't necessarily like this rigid hierarchy. And the cost of entry is is very, very low. You can just kind of like, you know, get some mics, uh, get some bandwidth, and then put something up there. Um, So I think as it gets older, as it evolves and develops, I think it's going to grow more sophisticated. I think some of the wildness, some of the uh, unruliness, some of the intensity that sort of characterized the early days will be lost a little bit. But I also think that we're going to see, you know, new and amazing and exhilarating forms of expression, you know. Uh, And I'd like to think, you know, that there's uh, a Mark Maron, uh, not a Mark Maron, but somebody like Mark Maron, you know, who's who's disgruntled and frustrated and just wants to communicate uh, who they are to the universe, who's going to be starting a podcast, you know, next year or the year after that or, you know, the year after that, that will completely change the way people think about podcasting and what the medium can do and, and what it's capable of. Yeah, I, 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 I wish, I wish I had time to go find that person. Look, there are thousands of podcasts out there. Some of them are inconsistent. Some of them are five minutes long. But I wonder if the audience uh, of podcasts, I wonder if people have that same drive to to go out and find that, you know, that piece of vinyl by a small record company of a guy that was on his, you know, uh, you know losing his mind, and and that record is amazing. I, I just wonder if the. Uh, if without publicity that those sort of diamonds in the rough or those people that that might be at the end of their rope uh out, you know i could see it happening in retrospect that you know you know 5 years from now there are 10 podcasts that somebody unearths and says no one was listening to this guy and and it was jesus so i right right but i, I do you think that the that there is a curiosity there. I just wonder about the curiosity because I think that in some ways podcasting has has gotten a bad rap in that like people will try one and they'll be like, oh god, that you, the mics were horrible, this was horrible. That that it seems that slightly polished at least personalities seem to be rising above the fold, and and the smaller podcasts seem to be struggling a bit. Well, I mean, uh, look at—I mean, look at WTF. I mean, you were not uh, a giant, massive cultural figure when WTF started out. You definitely had a name. You were definitely respected. Right. People definitely followed your stand-up. They 
you wrote a book that was uh, fantastic. Um, but you were not somebody where people like Ricky Gervais, people would just check out a podcast because you weren't involved. But your podcast developed through word of mouth, uh, through these kind of uh, landmark episodes, through these uh, water cooler episodes that everybody talked about, the Carlos Mencias, the Dane Cooks. Um, so it was able to kind of spread virally and without, you know, you taking out ads or anything like that. So I'd like to think that that's going to continue uh, to happen uh, with podcasts. Another thing that's, that's nice about, about podcasting is it's awfully incestuous. Um, so you kind of have the same people on podcast after podcast after podcast. But that's also a nice way for new podcasts to make a name for people who have power, who have leverage, who have appeal to kind of uh, pay it forward, to kind of give a, a heads up to other podcasts. And that's something that you can definitely do via yours. I mean, there are definitely people who are going to check out a podcast because somebody was a guest on WTF. Like, you have that power and you have that freedom. And obviously, you know, it's, it's good to have, you know, these, these huge guests that everybody is interested in. But one of the things that's great about your podcast is you still have, you know, your, your big J. Okersons. Uh, you still have these people who will be, you know, completely unknown to a lot of the, uh, of, of the public and can still, you know, kind of be part of this community that supports itself and supports each other and that is constantly ever growing. I think that the podcast has you know brought our community closer in some weird way. I get a lot of comics that come up to me and go, you know, it's almost a way to check in with their peers as to what's going on. And I'm finding that a lot of comics, you know, don't really know each other as well as you know they they're familiar with each other. Most of the time, I don't know them that well, and it's sort of I think becomes sort of a community bonding agent, and I'm I'm sort of thrilled about that. Uh, totally. Well, you know that uh, Chuck D had that famous line about. Uh, hip-hop being uh, CNN for black folks. Uh, and I think you can kind of extend the analogy and sort of say that WTF and podcasts in general, you know, you're, you've been weirds, you're, you're mental most happy hours, uh, you're nerdists. You know, those are kind of uh, CNN for comedians and for uh, stand-up comics. And I think one of the things that's interesting and valuable is you've given this sort of uh, very intimate glimpse into this sort of insular and kind of hermetic uh, community to people who would never even think about, you know, going to an open mic or, you know, trying their hand at stand-up, but have this sort of deep reverence for Largo, uh, who have this deep reverence for, you know, these somewhat, you know, uh, minor figures because you talk about it loving and, and, and appreciative and, and kind of thorough sort of way. I kind of feel like one of the values of these 300 episodes of WTF is that taken together, they're kind of this fantastic oral history of the stand comedy, you know, from 1960 to the present. And another thing that's amazing is, you know, so several of your guests who died, um, but yeah. people know them better because you spoke to them, because, you know, you got under their skin, because they got under your skin, because you had a real connection. I mean, I feel I, I know and appreciate Patrice O'Neill and his legacy a lot more um, because he because you guys talked, because you had an amazing conversation um, that I wouldn't really know him just from, you know, the three minutes I see him on, you know, Tough Crowd or him doing like a stand-up set on Conan. You can kind of reveal yourself in a way that you can't on WTF, uh, that you can't, you know, in other mediums. So what do you what do you want me to do, Nathan? Like as a fan of the show and as somebody's on, what, what, where would you like WTF uh, to go now? Um, I, that's a good question. I mean, I guess kind of uh, sort of the WTF that I love, uh, that I embraced kind of initially, um, kind of uh, explores a lot of these sort of more obscure, kind of random sort of nooks and crannies of the comedy world. Uh, I guess the Bob Zamuda episode uh, was a really good example of something that, you know, not 
not, not a huge name uh, to a lot of people, but my God, what a fascinating, fascinating story. Um, and I also liked that it went really, really long. You know, I, I tend to like episodes that go well over, over an hour long. Um, so, yeah, if you can get Shecky Green, uh, that would be absolutely fantastic. And again, just these people that you don't know. Well, I've got one coming up that you know that I I can't wait to to do, and then and then it's right up, it's right in that wheelhouse, man. I got a guy named Bob Golub uh, coming up because like I'm like you. I mean, those conversations with those kind of guys, they, they're to me they're always the most exciting and, and mind blowing ones because they you know, they don't have a, a necessarily a public personality in place, so you're not fighting against. Uh, a life script that or or a career that needs to be protected necessarily and um you know this guy was you know was you're gonna love that one I, okay well i'll definitely take that advice i'm actually thinking about interviewing my optometrist who's a who's a jazz uh, saxophone player jewish guy he's an optometrist in in this latino neighborhood who grew up in like somewhere in wisconsin where his father owned a pharmacy and he became a, a bebop jazz uh saxophone player that's awesome and again that's the kind of thing you can do now when i feel like your audience trusts you they trust you implicitly they kind of give you a blank check of, we trust you we trust your judgment we know that no matter where you're going to take us it will be someplace worthwhile so my god that is really exciting and and i'm very much looking forward to uh both an episode uh like that and then episodes you know of, of a similar vein well thank you nathan thank you for supporting me and 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 uh and, and and spending your time here with me today and 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 i will forge forward i will forge forward and try to uh to find those nooks and crannies Cool. I very much appreciate that. When you come to uh, Chicago in August, please uh, stop by the office. We'd, we'd, we'd love to, to treat you to lunch. So we did all right? You feel good about it? Anything you want to add? We good? No, we're, we're definitely very, very good. All right. Thank you, Nathan. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Again, that was Nathan Rabin from the Onion AV Club reflecting on podcasting and, and my podcast. And I'm very uh, thankful for his support. He's a smart guy. You should read his book. You know, one thing that is happening that, I, that I'm not sure you know, I'm handling, I, I think I'm handling it okay, but I'm a little more known. I got this weird email, the subject line, 89 memory, 1989. Mark, I caught your act in Boston back in 89 while at school. You followed a lady who bombed trying a Stephen Wright deadpan all the while silencing the room. You led with a dick joke. Something about the mic stand being used for penile exams. I, I did that. I, I will cop to that. Uh, yeah. And kept going strong with a bit about folks catching connecting flights after being in a plane crash. I did that. I remember that joke. Funny thing is that the memory of your act has stayed strong, but I never knew who you were. You were that guy. In the mess of my early 20s chaos, I just never caught your name. You surfaced again in my little narrative years later with an appearance on Leno. No, it wasn't. It was Conan. And you were talking about Sanjaya Malakar getting shot in the head and exploding in a firework display of bad hair and blood. I realized then that you were, hey, there's that guy, but still didn't catch your name. Now I've become a big fan of your podcast and I've put these fractured memories together. I don't have any motivation for sending this to you other than I wanted to share how strong of an impression your material made on me several decades ago. Apart from George Carlin, I haven't seen another comedian who left that kind of memory. Most fade like graduation speeches with their platitudes of mediocrity. Thanks for the great work, and I hope it's as fulfilling for you to make it as it is for me to listen. Sincerely, Joel. Well, it, it is, and I you know, and I. There's one thing I can say about this show is that in some areas 
I'm no longer that guy. And and I'm uh I'm flattered and 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 I and I like it. You know, I think I'm I think I'm ready, you know, at 48 after years of uh beating my head against the wall and you know being my own worst enemy to be uh not that guy uh to being uh Mark Marin. I'm okay with that. So let's talk now to Jesse Thorne. Jesse Thorne, of course, the host of uh, Bullseye and uh, the co-host of Jordan Jesse Go, and the uh, the main dude at Maximum Fun. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him. Originally a radio guy, now a podcast king. The guy who showed me my uh, uh, showed me how to use my equipment. Let's enter the conversation with Jesse Thorne. I read one book and I was happy. Yeah. I read one book. And I hadn't read a book, and I don't fucking know how long. I don't know how people read like, books. I don't know either anymore. I can't deal with yeah. it because the TV's right there. Well, well, there's that, but I just I don't I don't know how to budget my time. You're running an empire. I read books that I I do read books, but it's only because I have guests on my show that, um, you know that write have books. write books, and then I have to read the book. But when do you read them? Laying in bed with your wife, or like I you, read them like the day before in a headlong rush. You re- I, I can't do. I know. I've. I feel bad about it, but I have lost the ability to read a book sitting in bed. Yeah. Or it's that's fester time. Or that yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is. Like, it's time for me to go on Twitter, yeah. type my name into it, and yeah. see what insults people have spewed yeah. at me. How am I going to be hurt? Who's going to love me? Who's going to not love me? Exactly. How do I check in with that? Yeah. My therapist told me that because I grew up in a in a conflict in a in a context that was full of conflict yeah that i'm only comfortable when i'm working on resolving a conflict of some kind wow really isn't that intense it was does that include just uh like uh does it have to be a conflict or could it well just that's be a why problem? that's why yeah well it could just be a problem right but if it, if i'm like sitting around i'm done with what i'm supposed to be doing yeah i and then i'll just go i'll look for i'll accidental i'll get involved in something right sure a fight on the internet you're a drama addict whatever that's what we call it yeah yeah, yeah. it's and- I'm, I'm here to help but uh i'm, I'm happy to be watching this there's anything i can do i'd love to but i'm perfectly fine just getting a little buzz from all the commotion yeah i'm supposed to be interviewing you mark no, you're not. No, the way this is no. going to go. No, this is the way it's going to no. go. How's it going to go? You're not. Uh, you don't. I'm not to... as good an interviewer as Berbiglia. You're not the Berbiglia. You know, I didn't ask you here to play the Berbiglia role. This okay. is. Uh, we're looking towards the future, Jesse. You know, we've done 300 episodes, and and honestly, and I've told you this before. When I called you, I didn't know anybody else that did this kind of thing. Right. I didn't. You know, I I knew you because of the radio show. I knew you did a podcast, but I literally. Called you up and I was like, "What? What? What kind of mics?" You knew me as the guy who's emailed you'd uh, you'd suddenly regretted ignoring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You know, you had you you had me on your show when you were in college, and then you asked me to do your show again, and I'm like, "Who is this guy? Is he still doing that thing on the street in college or whatever that was?" The good news is that I just assumed that uh, you you had changed email addresses. No, I, I and then I'm in my kitchen. I hear you on the radio. I'm like, "Wow, I better return that guy's email. He seems to be on the he seems to be doing a, doing okay for himself. That fella." <laughs> 
But but quite honestly, you you told me what kind of mics to get. I went out and bought the wrong mics. Right. And then you showed me the real, you brought your mics over here and you said, these are the mics you need. And I'm like, right. okay. And then I got those mics and then you showed me how to hook them up. And then I asked you where to put the little switch on the back. You told me that. Then I got this mixer and you're like, I don't really have one of those, but I, it's got to be pretty simple. You showed me how to use this and then you showed me how to use GarageBand. I still use it the way that you showed me how to use it, even though it might not be the way. I like, what I like about the origin story of W. WTF and my involvement in it yeah. is that I just I just suggested some microphones to you, but yeah. it is as though I gave you some sort of talismanic sword. You did. <laughs> you were the you were the angel. I was like, I need an angel. I need a podcasting angel. But you were very giving with your time. You didn't think twice about it. You sat here with me and you held my hand as I, I figured out how to work GarageBand. And I and because I, I realized this today. You know, you don't use GarageBand anymore. It's been years since you used GarageBand. But well, I've like, never been a Mac guy, so I've actually never used GarageBand. Right, Band. so the way you used it was you'd open a file, but you'd open the the a general file, which is piano, then you'd, you'd delete that and then open another file and it'd be a mic, you know, like a, a vocal file. Right. Now, I know that I can just open a vocal file, but because you told me <laughs> to do it th that way, I still do it that way, which is a roundabout way of doing it, but I just cannot... Because, fuck with the system because i told you because when i came here i had never used GarageBand in my life is and that you true said, yeah and well i knew it had used i had recorded before but i had never used GarageBand. and you so you said to me well, how do i do this and i said well, i bet i could figure it out right so you're doing you're still all these years later not only doing i think it's normal to sort of go into something blind figure yeah, it out right. and then do it a weird convoluted way mm -hmm. forever mm-hmm but it's unusual to ask someone for their expert opinion, have them figure it out and give you a weird convoluted solution, yeah, I'm using and then the, do that forever. I'm using the way you figured out how to use GarageBand. <laughs> yes, that, exactly. That's, and that, you know, that's the way I do it. Now it has become a talisman. And these mics, like you've got me, like I had seen these mics before, but once your love for the uh, the Shure SM7 yep. just was transposed right onto me. And like, you know, if I walk into other radio places, I'm like, oh yeah sm7s mm -hmm. you know i know nothing about any other kind of mic yeah I, I i have the mics that i use on the road which i don't think you would ever use but but the sm7s i'm like these are amazing right these are the best mics right and they're not i mean they're the best mics for our purposes but they're not the best mics? well they've got these there's these like three thousand dollar neumann microphones that people have sometimes really why would you need how why you don't need them I mean, that's these, why we have these. No, but these sound good. These have they the sound, sound great. Yeah, these have the sound we want. Jesse. The, the, you know what? If these are good enough for Michael Jackson on Thriller, they're good enough for me. Is that true? Yeah. Well, I, well, that brings a whole new di dimension to it. Mm -hmm. Sure. But I just want to talk about where you're at now. You just got yeah. offices. You've got real offices. Like you're running an empire of shows. You've got yeah. Jordan Jesse Go. You've got Bullseye. You've got uh, the other one and the one after that. Sure. Uh, Judge John Hodgman. You yeah. do the two new shows. What are International they called? Waters, Throwing Shade, Stop Podcasting Yourself. So uh, how many the Memory you got now? Palace. I think it's seven. You know. six or seven. I don't know actually. Why don't you know? Because I, I don't count very well. I don't know why I don't know, Mark. Okay. We've so, got six or six ish. Okay. So now I do a podcast from my garage and I, and, and, and you're on it right now and this is all I can handle. Right. But clearly when you started in radio, your goal was to be an NPR guy. Yeah. To be, you know, and to I'm a failure at that. 
Well, thank God. <laughs> I mean, it's nice to hear someone say that. Hasn't it gotten to a point with that operation and with what NPR is where you can honestly say, you know what? Maybe I wasn't cut out for this, and that's okay. Maybe that's occurred to me, Mark. Maybe that really only, has occurred maybe to there's me. Maybe there's only room for two or three guys. There's only room for Ira and, and Jad, and then the wait, wait, don't tell me. That, right. That's it. That, that, it's, uh, doors are closed now. Yeah, I, I kind of think that might be the case. It makes me sad, though, Mark, because that is really what I wanted to do with my life. But let's talk about that audience for a minute. Yeah. Because, you know, with This American Life, I think you share listeners. Mm -hmm. I think we, you know, we both share listeners sure. with uh, them and Radio Lab and Wait Wait and those things. But it seems to me that the 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 infrastructure, the bureaucracy of NPR, because of their fear of, of particular listeners that I'm not even sure exist, <laughs> they, they, they're not so willing to, to let they someone- They do. They all listen to Wait Wait. Everybody. Wait, wait has so many millions of listeners. It's a funny show. Yeah, well, the what wait, wait does well, and what I can't figure out how to do well apparently is wait, wait is for people that listen to our shows, and also for lame people. Right. <laughs> like they're for both of those people. Like, and they don't compromise. I think to do it, they're making their show. It just works for. It's sort of like. You know, Seinfeld, Seinfeld worked for 25 million people every week or mm -hmm. whatever. 30 Rock, which I also love, only works for 2 million or whatever. But for yeah. some reason, Seinfeld figured out how to make a thing that was really specific, really wonderful, really great, that worked Everybody for people liked. that everyone liked. Yeah, I mean, this is the Harmon conundrum. Harmon thought the community would be that. Yeah. He really did. Yeah. And there's no reason why it shouldn't have, except that maybe we... Uh, there, there's nothing you can do to, to manufacture lightning in a bottle. But my point about NPR, and I like NPR, is that I don't know if new listeners are necessarily coming in. Right. And so now we have podcasts. Right. And now you have to admit that your life has been irreversibly changed for the better because of a decision to podcast. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that idea of, I don't know if new listeners come in. We Now we have podcasts. There was this guy who quit, and I'm forgetting his name, but he, he quit American Public Media or was fired from American Public Media recently. And they make, you know, uh, Marketplace and all these other shows. And he left there and said, listen, if we're trying to find new audiences, we'd better do it fast because they live in the age of the internet and they will just create something else. We will be cut out. We cannot rely upon people to find us in the way that they could before. I mean, I think a lot of public radio's success has been built upon, A, making a high-quality product, and B, the fact that if you want high-quality product on your radio, it's the only choice. And C, guilt. <laughs> <laughs> but like weirdly i'm an npr listener right. i mean it's all i really sure. listen to in the car if i'm playing something inside yeah but i think in 10 years your car it will be easy for 15 years it'll be easy for you to listen to something that you've chosen affirmatively in your car like i listen to the radio in the car too because my car is a 2004 yeah. and it doesn't have a line in on the stereo and i like how the knobs feel so i don't want to put in a new stereo right so i just listen to the radio most of the time and sometimes i'll put my phone with a little speaker in my shirt pocket to listen to a podcast uh -huh. but you know mostly it's a hassle to listen to a podcast and that's all it takes but that will go away right you know? and and in terms of uh you know building you know, becoming a producer of podcasts I, I'm just like, I, I'm trying to think about the future because I have this conversation with people yeah. is that you, you, we all found out through 
Ira Glass mm-hmm. mentioning something in a news article that was unrelated to the something he mentioned, you know, really what the ceiling of this audience is. And he, he mentioned that by, in my mind, and maybe I'm wrong, he, you know, he said that the react, the response to the Mike Daisy thing it was his largest episode, and that was 800,000. Mm-hmm. And if that's the number one podcast's largest audience for an episode, that's our ceiling. That's right. 800,000. Right. So I, I start to think, like, and obviously you're doing well with your model in terms of making uh, money enough to rent office and yep. uh, to have a kid who enjoys hats. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm doing okay. I, I don't know what I'm going to do, really. I, I can't see myself out of this garage, but I'm just th- that kind of person. I'm unable to uh, compartmentalize or, or think about anything. And it's a nice garage. I don't think you need to be out of the garage. No, I don't want to be out of the garage, but, like, I have some concerns about, like, well, what happens now? I mean, is this it? I mean, am I now this... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Am I this guy? You know, I do this podcast. I'm very proud of it. I like it. You know, I'm earning money from it. I enjoy doing well, it Well, there's a, there's a thing that happens, and I know this because this happens to me, which is that you get really keyed into the idea of growing bigger, 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 building towards something, solving something. And the problem is that if you get somewhere that you want to be, you still feel like you are not growing rather than happy being like, a success right, right, like because this, uh, you you know you're making a good living from your the work that you're doing right now you're making a good living from the show and from your stand-up and from tv it's projects all, it's all because of the podcast every right. bit of success i have right now you know outside of the fact that obviously i've been a comic for a long time and i've done a lot of different things but everything i have that is happening is because of these two mics that you told me to get in my garage but the thing of it the thing of it is that you i'm sure are sitting around thinking like, well, how come I can't host the Tonight Show or whatever? No, all I'm thinking about oddly is I become sort of more. Um, what, what's the word? Uh, um, I I get concerned for the medium. Mm-hmm. There's part of me, and even when I talk to you, or if I talk to uh, to Benson or anybody, there's some part of me that's sort of like, how are we all going to make this bigger? Look, I'm not a businessman, right? You know, this all happened in in a way. I I, I was not a guy. You know, who was like, I'm going to run a small business. And, right. You know, I had to, you know, figure out how to do this. Well, I only, I mean, I only run a small business basically because I discovered much to my dismay that I couldn't make a living from being on the radio. Isn't you know? that, it's like teaching. Yeah. <laughs> NPR is like teaching. And if you're yeah. not Ira Glass. Well, and, and the, re- two, the thing is, is NPR is, public radio is, the production of shows are generally subsidized either by major grant funders, by stations, by there are all these places where a, where the production of the show is paid for it's not by the radio stations that carry the shows and so the problem for me has been that i do a show that doesn't really it's not really grant fundable right and i don't do it at a station so my problem is that cuz i'm just a guy you know i'm i are you know my net from uh my net from stations and stuff is about right now about $25,000 a year and so I'm doing this show that has two people working on it pretty much full time and you right. know has an office and a right. studio and all this different stuff and I'm doing it with a with a net income from radio of $25,000 a year you know and the donations from the radio yeah and from- so what I ended up doing is doing all these other things essentially to make it so that I could do this one thing. And you don't want to sell dildos because I, I will sell dildos. <laughs> I want to sell, you know what kind of dildos I want to sell? I want to sell. Tweed. 
No, I want to sell like <laughs> I want to sell uh, good vibrations dildos. What, I want to sell. Francisco? I, yeah, I want to sell. I, this is a very important to me. I would love if anyone out there is works at a Babes in Toyland, at a Good Vibrations, at one of these sort of sex positive lesbian owned dildo stores. I'm all over selling so those you, dildos. You, you, you just want to be connected to an, uh, a proactive, progressive, ideological sex toy. Yeah, exactly. And that, and you're very aware a of- A green your... sex toy, some sort of eco-sex sure. toy. Sure, something made out <laughs> something of recycled Bamboo, goods. fibers. Yeah. No, that, those are not sexy words either. Those <laughs> uh, <laughs> fibers that never come up. Speak for yourself, Mark. <laughs> yeah, a, a good weave. <laughs> But but that also has to do with your awareness of you know the audience you want. Yeah, like I don't I don't ever think about that. That's not true. No, I mean I I'm be, I you don't... think all the time about the audience. The last time I was on this show, we talked for twenty minutes about how we struggle to understand our audience. Understand, but you seem to know... wide swaths of our audience. But you seem to know going in. That there's a tone that you're creating with with your, a network of shows. Yeah, I think it's just an approach to the themes that I think are essential to being a person. You know, and, and the the struggles I struggle with are you know basically love, you know, self acceptance, uh, you know, living in the world, uh-huh. uh, you know, this sort of why are we here stuff. And it, it's I'm just trying to render that down. And I think that you know even the the, the notion or the reality of somebody challenging themselves to figure that stuff out is very taxing for some people. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, why, is he, why is he even thinking, why is well, he bothering with this? It's exhausting. Exactly. That, that's, I uh, find myself exhausted listening to W2TF yeah. sometimes. Well, I'm going to put that on the blurb. <laughs> exhausting. Jesse Thorne. Producer, WTF, the public radio version. <laughs> exhausting. Your station should have this. <laughs> But but also I I don't know that I ever got into this as even a business right and and I think you got into it to be part of a community of like minded people that rejected me right but now <laughs> but now you're building you're building the next generation of that right I mean where do you see the Max Fun universe going That's an interesting question because I've been really struggling with this lately because you know as I said Bullseye and formerly the Sound of Young America had always been the center of it. You know, it had always been a structure that allowed me to do this show. And I realized, I was like, wow, you know, this public radio thing, which has been so central to my identity, is really sort of a heartbreak as much as it is anything else. And I have to go through a lot of pain with public radio world in order to make this thing. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, Jordan Jesse go on the, on the internet has roughly as many listeners as bullseye. It is time that I spend with my best friend joking around, which is my number one favorite activity probably. Yeah. And I was like, well, why am I doing the one that is so painful? Because I'm really invested in it, but I have to think about what, how can I change that equation so that, I'm not constantly hating the fact that I'm not on more public radio stations because, you know, on the one hand, who cares? I'm on some great public radio stations and, you know, I got this great internet audience, right? Well, isn't that interesting, though? Because I'm the same way with stand-up. Is that, like, really before the podcast and before people got to know me and before the podcast had an impact on anybody or whatever part it plays in their life, I was just a, a marginalized comic that couldn't sell tickets. And now I sell tickets, but... It, I think I'm I'm slowly becoming more known as an interviewer. 
Right. To, certainly to the people that listen to my show. Right. And it was a hard thing for me to accept that when people say like, hey, your podcast means a lot to me. I'm like, well, did you like the show? That, <laughs> right. You know, like there's this part right. of me that's like, well, it must be the same with you. Do, do you listen to Bullseye on, on NPR at all? Do you get it? Where you Like there's that moment where I'm like, but I, I've been doing comedy. I'm a comedian. And, and I know I'm doing good comedy. But I also know in my heart that, you know, I might not ever be as big as I might have wanted to or be the have the stature uh, as a comedian that right. I might have wanted to and that is heartbreaking because the thing is is there is this thing in your heart that you have set up to be the who you are is a part of your self definition right. i know from your show and from knowing you how central to you the idea of being a comic is and you know there's not any i know almost no comics that aren't like that and you can tell because of because comedians will still talk to each other about those actors in the mid-80s that, you know, decided to become stand-up comedians sure. so that they could get more parts. They weren't real comedy. Like they're, so yeah. they're still angry about that 25 years later, mm -hmm. you know, um, because it is a central part of their identity. It's a community, identity. and it's a, it's a struggle. It's a journey. You know, we're, we're, right. we're warriors. Right, exactly. And, when, and it's tough to figure out if that's this... And, you know, for me... I've been doing The Sound of Young America, now Bullseye, since I was 19. So it's the same thing. Yeah, it is all that I've ever done in my adult life. But it is my thing. But on, on the other side of that, you're still within that community. When you do a, a live podcast of any kind, whether it's Jordan Jesse or I, I'm not, do you do Bullseyes occasionally? Yeah, don't you sure, live? sure. That you know, you all of a sudden have this audience that you know appreciates you, but there's just this weird thing about being validated by the the either you know the mainstream audience vis-a-vis mm -hmm. -vis a delivery system that everybody gravitates to right and and yours is npr and mine would be you know hbo or, or whatever but right. yeah, i've got this show on ifc that i'm thrilled to, to try uh and I'm, I'm thrilled that it's happening and i'm looking forward to it but there's this there's this idea we have of ourselves mm -hmm. maybe I, i'm obviously a bigger comic than i was three years ago and uh, I was always sort of a respected comic, but I, I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to blow up, but all the opportunities that are coming are coming because, you know, I built this thing and you did as well. And and it's weird that, you know, that our success has to be tempered by this strange heartbreak and self-flagellation. Well, it would be nice if, you know, the, the one something that I fantasize about sometimes when I hosted a TV show for a little while. It was really fun to just have it be my job to just go host the TV show. Like someone handed me the script to the TV show. I just looked at it. Yeah. Like, you know, familiarized yeah. myself with it and then tried to remember to smile more than I would ordinarily. Yeah. You were you were hired to be Jesse Thorne. Yeah. And it was fun. Mm -hmm. It was great. It was a blast. And um, there's a part of it where, you know, you get a lot out of fighting and making your own thing and all that stuff. But you can see the appeal of not have of doing it without having to get into a big uh, yeah, fight all the time of being an undeniable commodity that people yeah. will respect because they know if they put you in front of people people will give them money <laughs> yeah well <laughs> you make it sound so dirty mark it is dirty <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you get other people involved there's going to be a little dirtiness involved but let's talk about the future of podcasting in general because we're 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 on this path and we are I think I, I can say without without bragging that we were at the cutting edge of it, you before me and, and several others before me. But this, you know, I have to see this, you know, not as some sort of visionary or even somebody who's looking ahead in a business level, but I, I have to see it as, as growing and, and, and becoming something larger. How does that happen in your mind? Well, I mean, I think that 
It's tough. I mean, the problem is that what makes for the best situation for people who make stuff and for people who consume it is if there's an open platform. And I think one of the great things about podcasting is it's an open platform. Anybody can make an MP3 file. Any player can play an MP3 file. You can play it on your computer. RSS is really simple. Um, It works easily and it's automatic and so on and so forth. Um, The problem is that the technologies that have been built on the back of that um, just haven't gotten to the point where they're easy enough for a person that doesn't care to use it. Right. So you have to still be like, you know, people will, I'm sure this happens to you, Mark. People tell me all the time, oh, yeah, I, I don't really, I don't do podcasts. I don't know how. Yeah. But they, but the problem is that it's just human nature to not be, there are, there are nerds and nerds like problems and finding elegant solutions to the problems. Um, and those people, for them, it's like, well, why wouldn't you just learn? You know, I'm like that. Why wouldn't you just learn how to do it if it's going to give you a better whatever? Yeah. But the truth is that for most people, even 5% hassle is enough to just be like, well, screw it. Because, you know, radios are, the average household has seven radios and they four Wait, So TVs you're saying and, that people are just waiting until there's just an on-off switch and a dial. Exactly. And my worry, the thing that I worry about mm-hmm. is that in getting to that point, you lose the openness part you lose the fact you lose the part where it's accessible to anyone well, because there's going to be somebody deciding who's on the dial i worry about that so i think the future of podcasting is predicated upon finding something that makes it much easier uh-huh. to hear these things so it makes it as easy as me turning on the radio in my car and enjoying the feel of the dials uh-huh. um and that still for our purposes for our tastes still has that still has that openness right and it's weird because even satellite radio is confusing to me yeah <laughs> and even then it's too many choices i i don't know how it unfolds but i i do think that we should both be i mean i'm very happy uh with the audience i have and i've never i'd been, be very happy with the audience you have too mark and i've never been more uh, happy as a comic or better as a comic and i've never had more people come out to see me and i have a tv deal and I'm going to make a TV show. You've all got a copy th- of the book Happiness for Dummies. I do. That was given to me. <laughs> and all of that happened because it of It seems this. like a prop, Mark. Yeah. No. It's it seems a, like something you would leave on the table. So. It's, not on, it's over on the shelf. If it was a prop, <laughs> I'd leave it on the table. I only leave stuff on the table that just to, I don't know. I don't, I don't have, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Right. But I think we should both be grateful and, and happy that we've, uh, we've found this thing. <laughs> so why aren't we? <laughs> why are we such assholes? Let's, let's save that why for the Why are we uh, such whiny? Let's save that for the 400th episode. (laughs) Thanks for hanging out, Jesse. Well, thank you for having me, Mark, as always. I'd like to do some more emails. I do have a couple, and I'm sorry if I didn't get to yours. This was an interesting thing, talking about just how much the podcast is spread throughout the world. I have listeners almost on every continent uh, in every country in the world. I haven't heard from Russia, but uh, I have heard from China. Not that I'm... Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's everywhere. But this is sort of a weird one, because those of you who've been listening a long time, I don't even remember what episode it was where I was in Washington, D.C., and I talked about being on a subway 
with some strange rural racists. And I just got this email. I literally just got it on July 23rd. Subject line, DC Metro Hillbilly. Dude, I was on the same Metro train a couple years ago when that drunk Hillbilly lady was talking about Obama having 666 on his scalp. What the fuck was that about? I also remember them trying to get the military guy to chime in and he wasn't having that. I thought he was really diplomatic when he said he's all of our president. I felt like jumping into the conversation and breaking down the lady's crazy logic, but decided it probably wasn't worth it. The whole thing was pretty strange slash disturbing slash entertaining. I was actually thinking about that today. That's really strange. I just heard it on your show. I guess your fan base is getting pretty large if some random WTF listener was actually there during one of your stories. I'm actually on the Metro commuting right now to work. Shit. I'm not made for a cubicle either. I know how you feel. Keep rocking, Mike. I guess he just listened to that bit about the uh, the cubicle thing. But that is so bizarre that retroactively he remembers being on that car you know, in earshot of that conversation that was not that loud, but it was enough to draw attention to it. And now he's a listener of the show. I don't know who listens to this show. And, and it, it just it, it's it's amazing to me that you know what we're sharing here is some common thread of humanity, not political uh, ideology, you know, not, uh, you know, a specific point uh, or angle, but just just conversations about life. Here's another email. Uh, subject line, architects love Mark Marin. Hey, Mark, I'm an architect from Montana. Myself and most of my architect friends listen to WTF regularly. I find myself in a lot of deep conversations that center around your podcast. Something about the work you do really resonates within the architecture community. I'd love to know what your thoughts are on that connection. Maybe it's because we're all sad bastards that overthink everything. Take care and thanks for the great shows. Shay. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the creative disposition. I, I'm really not sure. I'm just not sure. But I do know that many comics have been inspired to do podcasts because of uh, the surprise success of this one. And uh, one of those guys is Pete Holmes. Now, you know me and Pete have our thing. It's not tension. It's just a thing. See, I believe that uh, that that what Pete Holmes is, who Pete Holmes is, is something within me that uh, I am too ashamed to put out in the world. So he said that he's stolen my podcast. He said that publicly. He said it to my face. So I, I just have to accept that uh, maybe there's a little of Pete and me just as much as there's a little of me and Pete. I don't mean that literally. All right, just back off. Let's get into this conversation with uh, Pete Holmes, the, uh, the host of uh, his podcast, You Made It Weird. You like you like the headphones too. I do. I, in fact, most episodes of my podcast lately open with discussions of parking, turning off phones, or whether or not they wear the earphones. Yeah. And if they don't wear the earphones, there's always a slight distrust of me because I'm like, why wouldn't you want to? It feels like we're listening to the show while it's happening. Well, you know that's weird because I, I do the same thing. I'm talking to Pete Holmes on our 300th episode here, and uh, I I love the earphones. Me too. I, like if I, if I had a choice, I would be wearing earphones in life. Me too. I, I, 
but some people don't even think to do it. Yeah, uh, I don't I, know how to regulate my voice if I don't wear them. Right. It, you know what it reminds me of is uh, old school telephones, like this telephone. Yeah. Like the nuance that you would get from right. like a, a headset receiver. Oh, like hearing yourself. In yeah. The, oh, I never thought Th- of those that. Those old girlfriend calls where you're just breathing. Yeah. You can't do that on a cell phone. You'd just be like, are you there? Are you there? Is anyone there? Yeah. You don't know if anyone's there. <laughs> is, is this over? Back in the day, you could do that for yeah. hours. But I bet you never thought that, you know, at some point in your life that you'd be making these weird preferences around, uh, you know, earphones and, and having the skill set of of doing a broadcast show. Right. I mean, you've been doing comedy how long? A little over 10 years. And you started in Chicago. I, I, you know, I actually started in Boston. Yeah. And then, but like, I'm considered a Chicago comedian because it was only a handful of times. I went up at the Comedy Connection and uh, the Hong Kong, uh, you know, the comedy studio, of course. Um, maybe uh, three or four times. Yeah, and my college once, and then I and then I moved to uh, and then I moved to Chicago. That's really really what. And then to New York, and then to New York. Because I remember seeing years. you heavy and sweating <laughs> in New York. <laughs> well, that was old Pete. That was a, that was a thicker Pete. There was a little more ice cream in the milkshake, yeah, yeah. and a little more sweat, and a, definitely a sweatier guy, and definitely a much more. When you knew me, that was an interesting time for you to to know me because that was uh, the peak of the religious time. So I would go up, and I was very clean, very Seinfeld. Were you? Yeah, I, I, I maybe had, that's why I was just sort of like, "What is this guy doing?" Yeah, well, people used to ask me if I was on drugs. I mean, yeah. because I was so positive and like even more so than I am now. Yeah. I, believe it or not, I have more grit yeah. to me now. Yeah, and back then I was just like, "I'm so glad to be here." I couldn't mm-hmm. believe I was performing in New York. It was the Boston Comedy Club, right? And I was going up in New York. Yeah, are you kidding me? Yeah. The first time I went to stand up New York, I almost had a panic attack because I was like, "This is where Seinfeld yeah. told Horny to, you yeah. know, the story about yeah. the musician." I, I, it took me so long to adjust, and and I paid everybody incredible respect. Yeah. I, I hope, including you, and then also went up at the end of the night and told jokes about like, I had a joke about like RoboCop and yeah. like. Why do we robo? What, what kind of time are we saving by dropping the T? Yeah, like so safe. You right. know what I mean? I'm not saying that's a bad joke. It's just like the safest possible stuff. Well, I mean, I think it was probably before you uh, sort of owned the stage and were able to feel comfortable talking about yourself. Yes, because you're a comic now. You know, despite whatever resistance I had to you initially, <laughs> has. Uh, you know, you are able to. It seems like what's happening now, and I don't know what role the podcast plays in this, but. That you're you're actually a crossover act. I mean, yeah, people don't realize that. You know, that's a term that they used to use for black comics, who you know crossed over to white right, audiences. Right. But there is now you know alternative comics that can actually play uh, a mainstream room. Right. Exactly. Be- you started in mainstream rooms, but you sort of associated yourself with the alternative comedy movement, and certainly right. by doing your podcast, uh, you know, with uh, the Nerdist label and and being part of that Meltdown Comics crew. I mean, you're sort of you, you're part of the new. Uh, the new breed that anchors alternative comedy, or what's known as alternative comedy, Los right, Angeles. Right, but I you're also so. doing regular clubs. Yeah, really look up to those uh, those Bill Burr types, guys like you, uh, Burr, of course. I think Burr is like my number one example. Yeah. Louis, yeah. you know these guys that can do both. Well, we were talking about this off mic was the idea that uh, people are learning so much about how to be this more Marini sort of uh, exposed comedian. You know what I mean? And I started by doing the RoboCop jokes. And these observations, I had a joke about spill the beans. Where'd that phrase come from? Right. Someone spilling beans? Fine. It's yeah. fine. It did work. Yeah. But then like, that that's learning how to paint photorealistically, right. I think. And I think that's an important part of a painter's training, if I'm going to stick that's with That's just the learning the craft. Learning the craft. Right. Just literally learning, because you're so petrified, it's so terrifying, and you're just kind of seeing what it looks like to tell a joke and to yeah. have it received and to wait for them to laugh and then try a tag. And then, yeah. and then now, I'm definitely trying to do more of that 
comedian who's a podcaster thing. Well, Would, now let's talk about that. Now, you know, when I came into podcasting a few years ago, there were only a couple of guys doing it. There were definitely guys doing it before me. Uh, but in terms of my peers, there weren't that many comics doing it. Sure. And then I started doing it, and you know, I found that you know I could talk freely and not be hung up on uh, whether or not something's funny or whether or not it's fully thought out, <laughs> yes. and just do a stream of consciousness thing. Right. Now, now, when did podcasts come onto your radar? Well, that well, see, that's it's so perfectly uh, that we're talking about this. It's so perfect that we're talking about this because, I, as you know, and as I've never made any qualms about, I, I totally ripped it off from you. I've, I've used the term. Uh, Burger Kinging, yeah, your McDonald's, the and then yeah. I was just. I'm like, not making money off of this franchise. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're going to use that term, you better kick me a few bucks. <laughs> you have served millions, though. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I don't, I don't want to flatter myself and say I'm Burger King, but all I did was, I, here, I read an interview where you said that stand up, and you had been doing stand up long. You'll always have been doing stand up longer <laughs> than me. Yeah. And at that time, it was also true. And you were like doing the podcast is as good or better than doing stand up. Now, stand up is such a sacred requirement yeah it's a compulsion and I, I mean that in a good way i never want to sound like oh i'm addicted i love being addicted yeah. to my work and it's so therapeutic and it's so connecting and en enlivening and necessary for right. me and then i read and i knew you were that way too yeah. from my our brief talks and then you said that the podcast was sometimes better so even what you just said there, not always looking for a laugh. Yeah. Good Lord, the funniest things are down those shafts where the walls are paved with no laughs. Yeah. And then at the end, you're just like, we never would have got here. Right. If there was a crowd here, right. we never would have had the balls. Or maybe, I don't know, the live shows are harder. But you're getting in there and you find something that's really precious When and you're special. talking uh, alone on a mic. When you're talking alone on a mic. Right. I, I even just did a, a, a podcast and someone brought a friend. And I was like, even that energy is kind of fucking Because you can't right help now. but play to them. I was playing to them. I was monitoring their coffee intake. Sure, I was seeing when they were texting. As a comic that, that paid his dues, you know, two people. That's a crowd. That's a crowd. Yeah. And a tech. We yeah, have two yeah. people in a tech. That's three. Are you yeah. kidding? We're sold out. <laughs> but there, there's a weird thing that uh, what you taught me and something that I'm very grateful for. I don't want to butter your bread too much, but, uh, you know, actually, I would like to butter your bread. It's your anniversary. You taught me that there's a real liberation to opening all the windows. Right. There are all these windows and parts of my psyche. When you met me, 20, 24-year-old Pete, pudgy Pete, was like so terrified of people actually knowing who he is. Right. Don't get me wrong. There's still things that I'm guarding. And right. And I'm like, I'm a little uncomfortable if everyone know, know that. But what it's this weird experiment following your example of like, what would it be like to talk about my divorce? Something I never... People were like, do a one-man show. It's like, ah, it's not natural. Yeah. I don't want to invite people yeah. to sit down and I'm definitely going to talk about the divorce. But if it comes up yeah. and you start getting into it, people on my show, uh, people that listen to my podcast know how many thrusts uh, I lost my virginity with. Uh -huh. It was six pumps yeah. and counting in as one and out yeah. as two. So At least you got to pump. <laughs> Yeah, so, some people don't don't even make it to pumping. Yeah, there's a there's a pre sort of period, and and we talked like, when uh, when Judd Apatow did a live episode, we talk, riffed about pumps. So I mean, shouldn't I be humiliated? It, it's not humiliating at all. It's liberating. Well, I think that you know you, you and I are, are are of a certain ilk that you, you know it's not everybody's cup of tea. You know, right. and it, it also makes people uncomfortable. But it is there. There's something about this medium that that lends itself to that and certainly a lot of people aren't doing that like when right. you say uh there are a lot of people that are going to do the kind of comedy we're doing right yeah i don't know that that's not i don't know that that's true i think that what makes you or, or or somebody that does the type of things that we're doing any
enviable is that other comics uh, and even people say like, I, I, how do they fucking talk about that? Right, right, right. It's like, and they, they're not even afraid to talk about that. But what's interesting about the podcast is that it does inform the stand-up as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I, I know you'll relate to this is if I go up, now there are people that listen to the show and they yeah. know everything. They know right. arguably right. more than my mother knows about right. me or, or my brother or my right. friends. So if you go up, the the you, you there's a premium on your honesty now. You can't even attitudinally be fel- false. People will be like, that's not Pete. We came to see Pete. So like now the stand-up is being informed and improved, I hope, by the podcast. We were talking, this is what we were saying off mic, is we're worried, and you just alluded to it a little bit, that people starting out are going to start by getting up there and just being like, I don't know, 18-year-olds being like, my mother keeps waking me up, what the fuck, I don't know what this, like, maybe pump the brakes and start with a little bit more traditional stuff until you have something to say. Figure it out. The real tragedy is I didn't have anything to say until I was divorced. I really think that's true. Well, I think that there are, you know, events in people's lives that, that, that definitely, you know, change everything. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, it happened with Louie. It certainly, you know, happened with me. I was always sort of a, a revealer. But, you know, you, until you're really handed your ass. Right. You have you nothing know. to hide. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, there's a humility to it. You know, you can, you have, there's false humility. And then there's also sort of, a, sort of like confident strutting that's based in insecurity. But once you really get handed your ass, you, mm-hmm. it's almost like a favor. Mm-hmm. Once your ego is leveled. Yeah. Then you're sort of like, well, I, you know, I, I, I know who I am. You die to yourself, basically, right. right? And then all that's left is resurrection. People love resurrection. Sure, it's 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 really uh, it's very important to a lot of people. Resurrection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a big theme. Keeps coming up. <laughs> so you see yourself as the Jesus of podcasting. <laughs> Don't put going? Messiah in my mouth. <laughs> I never said that. But there, but yeah, the the. When I got divorced, then I knew this is going to sound cliche, but yeah. maybe cliches are cliche because they're real. Is I I didn't know what pain really was. That was a very sad, dark time for my life. And then I was like, oh, this is what everybody's avoiding. Yeah. This is what it is to go to a comedy show and laugh and forget your troubles. I didn't know what that was. Then all of a sudden, I had some troubles I wanted to forget. And all of a sudden, comedy was serving me. And that actually goes back to the podcast. The podcast is the most mutually uh, beneficial thing where the where the audience enjoys it. And I know you get this where you get emails and you get people coming up and saying whatever. Yeah. I'm sure people say, you've saved my life. You've improved my life. You, The Maria Bamford episode helped me realize I was in a, a codependent relationship and I was a codependent person. Got me going to Al-Anon. Yeah. Mike DiStefano fucking changed my life. This shit is happening. People who do my podcast, Gerard Carmichael, is the episode that comes out today. And I was in a real rut with stand-up. I was going up and I was saying the words. I don't know if you've ever seen that game Rock Band yeah. where you just have to hit the notes. Yeah. That's what I was doing. I was going up and kind of speaking into a void. That's when I just like lose it. It's the worst. It's so lonely. You're like, this is my favorite thing and I hate it. Yeah. Tired of me. I'm tired of me. Yeah. And then Gerard, it was, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation where you're just kind of like, oh, this person's saying what I believe so firmly, but I forgot back to me. And it just filled me with light. He was like, we, he was talking about the, the, the idea of going up and finding comedy and improvising and just following. He was talking about how on his set list he writes, keep going. Mm-hmm. His set list says, keep going. Mm-hmm. And as I was talking to him, just recounting it now, I'm getting tingly. I was moved. And it happened on Mike, you know what I mean? Like you heard a man, me moved by another man, and then he was. It, it ended up being this really beneficial thing for both of us. And then that night, I went up and remembered myself. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I felt planted again. Yeah. And this isn't just 
I don't know what this says about me, but like now when I'm having a really great conversation, I'm kind of like, I wish this was on mic. This one was on mic. You know what I mean? And there is, this is going to sound, talk about Messiah in my mouth, but there is a ministry to that. It did minister to me. I don't mean religiously, but it ministered to me. It addressed a real need. I was in a rut and it saved my comedy. And then like the shows were better. And I think, I hope people listening to it feel the same way. Well, I, I, you know, and I've had many similar experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, with guests that have changed the way I've thought about stuff. And I, and I guess that's what, you know, the type of podcasting and comedy we're doing, but specifically podcasting is that you and I need to talk to people to get a sense of who we are. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're sort of craving that moment. I mean, you, you know, you've obviously, you know, had a God in your life and you pursued, uh, you know, God in your life and we're going to pursue that, uh, you know, maybe for life. And I, it was a little more nebulous, but I always relied on other people to sort of like, you know, feed, you know, looking for these answers that is going to make my life, uh, you know, easier. Right. Or better. Right. Now the word minister as a verb, how is that used in its real, in, in its, uh, within the church? I, I think you would say, uh, oh, Mark, you're such a, a good listener. That's a real ministry to me, or that's a blessing to me sort of thing. But like a pastor would minister to his congregation, I suppose. Well, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, say that it, the weird, the, the greatest effect that my podcast could have is that it actually helps people. Right. Because, and when you talk about ministering, you know, I never thought that I would be that guy, sure. you know, and obviously, I mean, you were going to be a minister, right? Yeah, my, my mom says uh, I wanted him to be a youth pastor, but he's a comedian, and then she goes, close enough. Well, it's, but, it's, but, it is, kind of. But you know what's funny? I'm not burdened by working for, I don't have to toe any line, you know what I mean? I can say whatever my truth is, my spiritual truth, my physical truth, that day, in that moment. Like, I, I just think it's absurd that a, a youth pastor could get fired, fired, because he doesn't tell the, the church's corporate line. If you said, you know, I don't know if there's a hell, fired. Right. I think gay people are okay, fired. What if, like, what if you're feeling that way? What if you believe that? Right. You have to, like, like I, I was at a church where the pastor had an affair and, and he was fired. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, for sinning? You right. know what I mean? Isn't that right. what this is all about? What, where's the forgiveness? Yeah, where's the fucking forgiveness? Uh, well, so, yeah. But that for me... I think me, it's a little bit better. Yeah, well, I, I think... <laughs> but I th- I never thought it would have that effect because I'm a, yeah. a pretty selfish, you know, self-involved guy and a selfish guy. And the, the course of the podcast, you know, from the feedback I get, you know, and the struggles I go through and how people relate to it, and you get these emails where it's like, you really got me through a dark time. You really right. helped me out. It's like, I feel like... Um, I'm very grateful and and I'm and I'm amazed. Yes, that that you know whatever I've been accused of, which is you know selfishness. Sure, that my struggle with you know being me in the world is helping. You it's know, a type of alchemy. Yeah, hundreds you, of people. You turned. We both. I, look, I don't want to put myself. I have such reverence for this show. I don't want to put myself in that boat. But allow me to. We both turned selfishness, a little inwardness, a little navel gazing. Yeah, into something that actually is helping people. Like. Talking about my divorce, I just had Mike Burns on the show. He talked about his divorce. He talked about wanting to die. We both had this moment where we discussed the moments in our lives where we wanted to die. Something I never thought I would ever confess. Being as put together and hey, hey, as I am. Right. Talking about being at a sushi bar in uh, the Midwest and just wanting to die. It wasn't dramatic. It wasn't colorful. It was just a feeling of like, oh, dread. This is dread. I'm in dread. Yeah. He talks about a, a, much, a great story on the episode. And then when we got off, I was like, I said to him genuinely, I was like, I know you think we were just talking, but you did a good thing. You, that, that's a good thing that you gave people. And then here they come, the comments and the emails to Mike and to myself where they're like, 
This is what I needed. I was going through this today. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're not alone. Right. If there's a message to my podcast, it's that like, hey, look at me. I'm kind of like a CBS guy, you know, who, you know what I mean? Just like a regular guy. Yeah. I, I like to think that I'm somewhat put together and friendly. Right. right. But I've done everything. I've jerked off on your airplanes. I think about killing people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm here to say, use me, this regular guy, as the as the barometer to say you're not so fucking weird after all, and, that's and none a, of us are. That's a great mission, and I, you know, and and and, I'm, and I think that you know myself and and you and some other people are using this medium in a way that uh, that you know promotes and encourages interaction, intimacy, yes. you know, self examination, yes. and also relief and the honesty. I'm, I know you get this when I <clears throat> now I tour. I never really, <coughs> excuse me. That's right. Never really toured before, and now I tour, and I because I want to meet the weirdos. You know, you have the what the fuck Ricans. I want to meet my weirdos, and they come out and they dive right in. I yeah. know you get this too. Yeah, yeah. Because people know your cat's name. Yeah, yeah. People, I I told you that I know your neighbor's yeah, name. Yeah, the road or, yeah. The yeah, yeah. All this, all this intimacy. Yeah. So you, people are always apologizing, like I don't want to freak you out, but I grew up Mormon, and and they just dive right in, and I'm like, no. Yeah. This is what I want life to be. You think yeah. I want to talk about how the nachos are here or what you thought about the show? Tell me about what it was like leaving the Latter-day Saints. Let's get into sure, it. Sure, but make it quick because there's other people. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to buy a t-shirt? Yeah. Fucking beat it. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. it's a, but that's like, but not unlike, you know, I, I try to be as available as possible yeah. in that moment yeah. and, and let them, and, well, that, and let people say their piece and, and have it. And, you know, because I don't know them, but I right. do know they know me me right and if they know me that well they must relate to me on a certain level and there's that weird moment where everybody seems familiar because right. they do know you right right right. and i i'm like i sometimes joke that the podcast should be called uh pete needs help yeah. i need help how did you do that yeah you have kids and yeah you give of yourself you know what i mean like how are you balancing that there's sure. there's a real we also call it what the heck <laughs> yeah well no i and i you know and and i know we've had our tense moments but i'm very happy you're having such uh, such success with my show yes and, uh, <laughs> a lesser version of your show if i if i may i i've said it before but i want to say it again because it's your 300th anniversary you've done something incredible for the for the stand-up community but also for people there's the, I always used to talk about civilians and comedians, and then those those walls were broken down here. We're just talking about very similar people, whether or not they write down their weird thoughts and perform them or just have them. Yeah. Suddenly, people are being ministered by the show. I told you, it got me into Al-Anon. It got me doing all these good things for myself, having good conversations. It's helping com comedy. It's making comedy better. We're talking about touring, and you look at the yeah. lineups. Yeah. That's what the fuck, man. Yeah. I, I can't tell you what it's like to be at the Comedy Works and look at the wall, and I'm like, this this is us. Yeah, yeah. It's all us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So thank you. I'm incredibly grateful. It's a privilege to rip you off. Yeah. And I'd like to say for the record, I was like, oh, it would be good for me to foster, try and be like, oh, Marin, Marin hates me or whatever. Yeah. It's never been the case. Nope. You've never been anything but supportive. Hook me up with my t-shirt guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you did email me once and was like, is there anyone on my show that you don't have on your show? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I thought, because you've been so no, nice about it. I said, you need it. email addresses of anybody yeah. that's been on my show that has been on yours. Yeah. And you thought like, oh, I, he's trying to help me I out. I thought you've been so kind, top to tails, that yeah. I wrote i was like i can't believe this thank you so and much taking, i'll let you know and i was taking a shot yeah, yeah. i was like he didn't even that that's so peak like he 
you just completely absorbed it. I'm like, oh my God, he's trying to help me. Mark would never do that to, yeah. to take a shot at me. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thank you so much. That was the lovely, annoying, but very uh, sweet Pete Holmes. I swear I say annoying with a with with a big heart. I I, I do uh I do like Pete. <laughs> There's just something about him that reminds me of some part of me that I don't think I've accepted yet. Is that wrong? Is that is that a, a horrible thing to say? But Pete talked a little bit about you know the connection you make and, and how helpful it is and the idea of ministering or or the idea of of helping with this thing, which was a, a surprise result of my podcast. And and I can't say enough uh, how much it moves me to get emails from you guys uh, about how the show moves you. This one has a subject line therapy, and this is something I've talked about before. Dear Mark, I just read the interview you did with uh, Jada Ewan for New York, and I wanted to chime in about your disdain for people referring to your show as therapy. I can see why you're offended by it. The idea that we can't have conversations anymore without classifying them as something else, as something that isn't normal, that absolutely is condescending. But when I think of your show as therapy, I think of it as something that is therapeutic, something that helps me get through my day. Listening to people talk about real life is a therapeutic thing. I don't think of it as as you and your guest in a therapy session, but as something to learn from. It helps a lot of people put their problems into context and helps them see things in themselves that they didn't even realize. I know that's what it does for me. Maybe it shouldn't be treated as something out of the ordinary, but it is. And because of that, I think your show is important. The term navel-gazing, on the other hand, I agree, that is total bullshit. Be well, Aaron. I can accept that, and I appreciate that, Aaron. Yes, I and I, and I think that is a, a way of looking. A therapeutic is not therapy. I'm not in therapy. I'm not a doctor. I'm not running therapy sessions. But I do know that the show is therapeutic to people to the point where this was one of the more mind-blowing emails I ever got. And, and quite honestly, incredibly flattering uh, and humbling in a way. Hello, Mark. The interview with Todd Hansen is one of the most powerful narratives of depression and suicidality I've encountered. My hope is to make it required listening for the first-year medical students here at the University of Vermont. The course, Professionalism, Communication, and Reflection, is the place in the curriculum where the medical students stop to think and talk in small groups about what they're doing and why. Reading or listening to patient narratives is a frequent activity in the course, and so it's a perfect spot for WTF to make an appearance. If we can pull this off, I'll certainly let you know how it goes. I'm a longtime fan of WTF, naturally. Thanks for your magnificent work, Illuminating the Dark Places, Lee. That, that to me, is uh, better than a Peabody. And also what's very important to me and, and has always been important to me, I just never thought it would happen this way, is the respect of my peers and... Uh, and the respect from the community of comedians that that I've been part of for more than half my life. And the respect I have for Andy Kenler is far beyond anything. Uh, I, I just, to me, he's a, he's a perfect comic. Uh, he's naturally funny. He, he respects and honors, you know, where he's come from. And, and, you know, he's just a great comedic voice. And he loves WTF. And I just wanted to talk to him about that. So let's uh, let's go now to my conversation with Andy Kindler. 
I wanted to say one thing because you know I'm addicted to your show. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, I don't know if you've been getting my shadowing. No, I. That's why you're here. This is the 300th episode, Andy Kindler, and this is uh, you were one of the guys. I honestly wanted you here because you're a peer, you're a friend, and you're you're a very vocal fan of the show. And I, I you know, I know people that love the show, but I'm very uh, flattered that uh, you like it so much. Oh, uh, it's well, you know, it changed my life. And I'm not just saying this. Uh, you have promised me 14 future appearances. Yeah, no, this is part. This is part one. This is like the old days when people did Carson. Depending on how well you do with this one, I might have you on next week. <laughs> Does that mean that after the interview that I might walk over to your area and I'll, I'll give you, you? I might give you an okay. Then I just leave the garage. Yeah, you just walk out the garage, and as you're walking by, if I look at you, that's good. But if right. I give you an okay and a smile, yeah. you're probably coming back what next week. What if this week. really is how you're, gonna, you're starting to be two weeks from now? But you, don't, you have no idea that there's no separation between. I'm like Johnny Carson now. I give a wave to the comics. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it's the, all the comics think is the most important thing. It's going to launch your career, and then everybody will say how they felt the first time they came in the garage. <laughs> I'll never forget when he took off the headphones, <laughs> and I couldn't tell whether he liked me or not. But surprisingly, a week later, uh, his booker called me. <laughs> how did this show change your life? Seriously? Oh no, because I remember very clearly emailing you. Uh, I was very. De- I mean, I wasn't like depressed. I don't get. I don't get like super depressed. But uh, what, like, why do I sound defensive about that? I, you're having a conversation with yourself right now. Yeah, I don't I, get super. I, hey, look, what? Are you, why are you saying I get too depressed? I didn't say you did. No, but I mean, I've known. I know people have a real, real depression. But let's say on a Jewish scale. Uh, well, yeah, mild depression. Um, well, no, no. I think I, I'm. I have uh, every two weeks. Uh, I'm going to run out of money and be uh, poor. I, I don't know if that's depression. I think that's a reasonable reaction. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I don't know if you can medicate that. You know, like, what are you going to take medicine and go, I don't care if I run out of money. Okay, so you're, what you're saying is I may should start to address the actual core issues. <laughs> Which are I, uh, which apparently aren't that deep. <laughs> yeah, you can find out your, your core issues with your ATM card. Every thirty days, I seem to get a, uh, a tug in my stomach. Is it, is it tied to anything in the mail? Seems to be tied to my profession. Is what I, <laughs> as far as I can trace it back. It's like you like okay. At the end of the year, you go all right. Well, what's going to happen next year? Yeah. I just thought the tr- the train was going to keep going. Yeah, and then uh, but then when your shoe sh- shoe when your show came on. Uh, I wasn't aware of anything of podcasting things. Yes. I mean, and the thing about it was was because, and I remember the early shows, early on when you started the show, you didn't start the show like, hey, I'm excited about this. Yeah. It was no. like, it was a man, <laughs> it, was just a, it was a man going through the motions. <laughs> a man, you know, uh, spiraling down. And yeah, when you can't, and when you scheduled me, you didn't yeah. see me hopping on it. Yeah. Either. <laughs> I got to clear my schedule. So I was probably annoying you about that. No. But then when I heard it, I was like, wow, there's things that you can do. What I was attracted to on the, the dream of the radio when I was yeah. a kid. Right. Uh, who, was, who was your guy in the radio? Well, but I, you, know, now it's, it's, it, you know, when I think back now, I don't think I ever really had people. I mean, I don't think I really have what it is that's happening now because uh, I had Top 40 Radio and I didn't really get into other stuff. But there, there's memories I've had of different shows or just the experience of listening. Yeah, radio is great because it keeps you company. And any, you know, like in your car. You know, you and sometimes when you're when your dad's driving the car, you listen to the radio. Yeah, yeah, and there's a guy on there. It's like, hey, do you like that one? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I did a little bit. Well, and then the fact that I mean, because I, I was fairly early on, you're talking about visiting your mother. Yeah, and that uh, the, just the whole the thing is, it was um uh, 
almost it was life changing for me, but it was also very emotional because you were in the same. I felt like we were. Uh, it's not like I'm I'm unhappy that you're getting more success now because I need you to be exactly that person yeah. that you were. It, but I would appreciate it if you would go out of your way to mess up a couple of things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the stage is set for that. But yeah, I, I have more things and bigger things to mess up now. I think the stakes are higher. I think this, uh, as, uh, you know, uh, deciding that like he's got everything going on now and he must be happy. No, I'm not happy. I'm paralyzed with fear, and I have uh, the biggest opportunities of my life ahead of me. So there's a real good chance this show could get better than it ever was for the same reason it was good to begin with. Right, but you exactly. But you also can't. I can't expect it to be what it was. I mean, the the thing about your mother, you visit her in Arizona, in, and yeah, uh, in and, the, she, and she and the, the throwing the food. Right, oh, oh, in Florida. Florida. Right, my Did brother's you, in Arizona. Yeah, so you go there and the, about the throwing the food away. Yeah, and I just could get that feeling of where you're somewhere, and why is the discussion about it, and why is that person, your family member, obsessed with having to throw the food away? Yeah, or there's no. And I just, I don't know. It just really was able. I had never heard anything like that. Yeah. You know? And it's weird because, like, before the show, we were okay. You know, we had had uh, difficult times before, but, you know, we became much closer before the show. Before, because of this show, you and I have become very good friends. I think that's true. I do too. I do. But I also think that even when we were having problems, we, 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 we were still other. we were yeah. having we were enjoying ourselves. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> but I think I was very, that's one of the, the great benefits of the show is that you and I became good friends. Oh man! Seriously, Don't, aren't cool. you happy about it? Oh, I'm really, I'm thrilled about it. Because like I mean, every time we hang out, we have a blast. We can have lunch, and then we, and then we get exhausted, and then we have to take a break for a few months. And we do enjoy making ourselves. Oh, is this a sexual thing? No. I'm oh, I, 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 <laughs> now if you need me to do any impression of any, because last time I did the impression, I forgot to say what's wrong with me. What's wrong with me? <laughs> I didn't say that. That's my impression. That's and me. Then I also love, uh, and I like to time how long it takes you to get tired of the what the fucks, what the fucking nicks. Yeah, yeah. And you know it's like the, with the first one now, you're already at it, and that's what makes it so nice to me. <laughs> I enjoy when you go, what the fucking nicks, what the hookah chuckles, <laughs> what the, uh, what, uh, all right, that's enough of those. But then every three or four weeks, you'll come in, in with a new one. <laughs> yeah, what yeah. the heat, what the, what the, Mohe- what the fucking Mohicans. <laughs> and then we're back. And we're back. What the moccasins. Uh, yeah, we're back. We're in it. And here's my other favorite one. Look, mm. folks, we all have to mail letters. I mean, come on. Let's not kid ourselves. They won't get mailed themselves. Do you want to stand in the 12-hour line? Boom. Here's a letter from a lady who did the thing. Dear Mark, I loved it. I never thought I would use a stamp. Now now I can exercise freely knowing that my stamps go out on their own. And then the other one is like, look, folks, we, don't, we all like dirty things. You don't have to get a... Oh, don't think you have to buy a, a contraption. <laughs> it's not all about burrowing in or, or unscrewing out. The condom sale is always surefire. Even my most straight-laced customers. <laughs> need condoms. They need condoms, all right? You yeah. think I want to break in? Well, I have to do it. Uh, okay, that's good. But when, like, and when we talk about the show, like, because you're a guy like me, you know, we love comedy, and I know that uh, you know you have certain feelings about comedians, and you know almost all the same guys I know. But what's your experience of actually you know listening to some of these guys for an hour? Which of the ones were the ones where you're like, oh my god, I had no idea. This is this is what's fascinating because sometimes it's like. Um uh, what you hear deepens your appreciation of the person and you get to see them in a way that right. is like uh, but then for example on the negative side uh, like F- Ferguson yeah. after like an hour I was like okay this guy has a thing 
about oh, nothing's a problem. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, what? What do you? Ha- what's going on? Who's on? Who's on the show tonight, Craig? <laughs> don't know. Don't know. <laughs> And it's not my thing to be involved with what I'm doing. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I don't yeah. want. So, you, would you like the, the Would you like uh, the Late Show? No, no, that's not about you know. I see that people have walls. Yes, like Dan Cook. His yes. thing was to present a performance to you, and then so that was a fast day to see that. Yeah, and I was like, I was very like cranky that day too. Yeah, like, I got a lot of mail from people going like, I don't even like him, and you were a dick. Oh, I know, because that's also because you never know how you're going to be. Because sometimes, like I like the other week when you were like. Uh, you know, these abstract painters or these are the performance artists. Yeah, these are legitimate art forms. If they, if they want that as a blurb on their <laughs> next project, I'm willing to put that out there. These are people who are doing things, folks. And I've come after many, many years of not having any peripheral vision because I couldn't see outside of myself that there are people out there doing things. Especially the performance artists here because they can't, we're not going out for the same things. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I thought that was a big revelation for me. But that's the thing. It's like when you went to visit Carrot Top, when you go to see a, when you go to see a Carrot Top. Yeah, a Carrot Top. <laughs> in this business. This, yeah. When you go and you make an appointment and then uh, Char, it was a Charlie Varicola. Yeah, it's yeah. like, so you could tell the whole tension there and uh, what's going on and there was some, yeah. uh, that's fascinating to me. Is it fascinating to you because the show business or just in general? Well, okay, this because you know these guys. I mean, you know Charlie, don't you? Uh, I well, I know Charlie, but not that well. But you know, here's the thing: there's the nuts the, on the totally positive side, on the not like Sigmund. Well, I'm not a big Sigmund Freud fan. I'm not the Carl Jung side. Like, yeah. oh, I'm getting into his collective unconscious. The the nuts and bolts. Like when I heard Stephen Wright talk about uh, how he feels about stand up. Yeah, that was so inspiring to me because yeah. that was like. He said something that made me like. He said, "You know, I can if I don't do it for like a month, I start to and I go out there. Uh, I feel like weird. Like isn't this a weird thing? I always, so I always relate to people who have the same feelings I had. So so and so in the in the listening to people in the same profession thing, I I could literally listen to that all year. It's wild, right? And like when I do it, I feel the same way when I'm doing it. Like I can't like when I'm sitting here. If if Stephen writes, I'm nervous coming over. I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk to him because I don't really have a lot to ask him. I just hope that the conversation flows. And with a guy like that, you're like, I don't know, can he even talk like a regular person? Yeah. And he was such a sweet guy, and he was laughing. He's laughing his ass off every time he laughed. He's sitting right where you are. He'd laugh. He'd pull away from the mic and put his hand over his face. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, people need to know <laughs> that you're enjoying yourself. <laughs> you're, you're, during you're laughing. And, but that was so. And of course, the other the stuff that you've had uh, uh, a firsthand view of, like the comedy store stuff, and when you had the, the Carla Bove thing was great. But there was another comic you had, uh, Jimmy who, Schubert, so great. Yeah, come on, yeah, that know. Jimmy Schubert thing. I I I don't even have to play it back in. I have it in my head. Yeah. Every every single part of that story, the motorcycle and the yeah. walking up and seeing Pryor. Yeah, and them telling him. Don't act a certain way when you're around uh, uh, the famous people. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that do you know I, Jimmy? I do know Jimmy. Yeah. I, I've always and he's that's a guy like that I, I didn't know that well. Right. You know? Yeah, that's and, the thing that I feel. It's like we all know each other, kinda. Right. And like, like, cause I don't know anybody that well. I mean, we're all busy, you know, you know, worrying about ourselves and trying to hold on somehow. I, I mean, who the hell hangs out with anybody? Do you know anybody that hangs out with anybody? You go to the club, you hang out, maybe you work on the road. But aside from that, I don't know what anyone's doing. I assume they're, they're sleeping or crying. Well, that's what the thing is. It's a way to check in. Right. But that's where the, uh, the, uh, the relation, the, uh, the relating to it comes in. 
Okay, so let's see. I'm gonna throw some quick, uh, you know, some quick impressions. Like, yeah, I want some quick uh, reviews. Yeah, you got e- it. Episode forty, Dave Attell. Attell was great. You went to see him in a in a hotel yeah. by the pool. Yeah, and uh, that was um, First of all, he's like a guy. Like you feel like. Is someone like uh like he you never get to see him or something Ever. like that? Yeah, yeah. You know he's what I mean? Like an elusive it's, nocturnal he's, animal. He's losing. It's like I always thought when I first made when I first met David Tell. First of all, uh, Sarah Silverman told me about her, and, and I was very jealous of him immediately. I don't know what it was. I it was not even aware of all the jealousies. I, I right. was like, what is this David Tell that they're all? That's not <laughs> yeah. the best way to go see comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, what's so great about this David Tell? <laughs> I and but of course he was funny the first time I saw him. Yeah. We you know he said let's turn the microphone to funny. So he was yeah, great yeah, from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. But oh my god, I just think he's so brilliant. But I always thought of him as like hanging out with everybody. But yeah. I think he's more of a loner. Yeah. No, so for you, out. for him to be perked up with you. Yeah. And uh, and you were talking about making the albums or something. His and, father uh, in the tuxedo shop. Oh, he's like a person. So that I, was great. That I, was. A- I was stunned. For me, like that was like some people consider certain episodes breakthroughs, but for me to sit and talk to David, who I'd known for twenty years and never had a ten minute conversation with, for him during the day to sit and focus for an hour, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. He was perked up. He was yeah. perked up. It yeah, was like all he up. was into the in- exchange. Yeah, yeah. He really showed up for that. How about the Carlos Mencia ones? The Cosmos here ones were like a, uh, that was like watching uh, two episodes, two Goodfellas yeah. back to back. <laughs> I mean, the first one, and the th- also the one there he's was a that- guy that you've had, I mean, you would have very sort of, and, and as would any comic, you know, a very specific uh, yeah. reaction to. Yeah, my thing with him is like, oh, oh, I'm the bad guy because I said the terrible, horrible thing? Oh, I'm wrong. Because I said something disgusting. And I, oh, I took that. Yeah. Right. Oh, let me get this straight. Yeah, Just because yeah. I said something truly horrible yeah. about another race or people. Oh, Wait, so but, now but, that's but, wrong now? What about the stealing thing? Well, I didn't know. See, the thing is, I always, with the stealing thing is like, I never knew. And, and then when they got into the problem with the whole stealing thing was when it first came out, the joke they were talking about. It, I get very I know, yeah, uncomfortable because yeah, yeah. I almost feel like those things are like. They're we just, know or we don't know, and and we're not in the court of law. Right. But the thing where he was, when you had the other people on, when you made it into that miniseries, yeah. we had other people come on. And people who knew him for who years. Who knew him for years. Because the first time you kind of concluded, your first image of him was, people are jealous of what you do. Right. That was your overriding thing yeah. on the first well, one. I, I brought him in here only because uh, you know I, I wanted to know what it was like to be so hated. I, I had no idea the backstory of, of him. I didn't do any, didn't, didn't prepare, didn't do any research. That's the other thing you do, though, too, is that you do a good thing of, uh, of um, uh, the thing is uh, where you are not here to sandbag people. No. Uh, I mean, obviously, you, you tried to provoke Gallagher. But uh, I did no, not. you did not, though. I'm, I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm actually genuinely happy. Did you watch him on Letterman the other night? It was so great. But, but, but you know what was great about it? Is yeah. That the first segment, he was funny. And he right. was talking about right. himself. They were bonding around heart attacks. You know, he was he was doing the thing on my podcast that he said you shouldn't do, which is talk about yourself and be funny. And it was at that moment I realized, you know, he was put together, he had his hair done, and 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 he was he was being funny in the way that he's funny. I mean, he's clearly, you know, a funny guy. He wouldn't have been as big as he was. But then right. the second segment, it was like, Oh, here we go. Now we're going off the rails. And then, like, by the time he put on that prop, it was like, it was, why'd you, why did he even do that? If Gallagher were to go out and do a completely autobiographical show, 
right. about his struggles. Yeah, you know, that was that was written and funny. It would be mind blowing. Yeah, but that wouldn't be Gallagher though. <laughs> no, I, I know, but he doesn't possess that type of self awareness. That's the thing. It's amazing is that when you were talking to him, the first no, you you were not sandbagging him, but you got genuinely upset. I did. And what you were getting upset about, which was totally fine, because the thing was, but he didn't have an answer, and the reason why he doesn't have an answer is. It's just like uh, Jeff Dunham. Yeah. You know, it's like you can say, or, or Lampanelli. When you can say, when the, I know people like Lampanelli. I know did you listen to that one? What was the that? The Lampanelli one? I did. That was very hard for me to get through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was one where I couldn't overcome my uh, my actual dislike of the, the person. The humanity was not going to work no, on you. No, no. I mean, and, <laughs> and there were other people like, uh, I love listening to the cat. I mean, I don't, here's the thing. I guess it's like I have a negative, to me, like Carrot Top is not uh, calling people spicks. Yeah. So I'm not as. Uh, <laughs> So that bothers you. That, that bothered me. And, and the thing is, is that, but the thing with Gallagher was, you he wasn't taking responsibility. He was like trying, he has these very extreme views. Yeah. But he's trying to hide that he doesn't. Right. And the thing is, he does. Because I remember him years ago, I'll never forget this, he was doing some bit, and he said something about something, and he said, you people are upset. You need a spokesman. Like he thought he was the <laughs> the <laughs> spokesperson for the blue collar well, people. Good. Well, now he's on a Geico commercial, so he's gotten something. He's a spokesman for somebody. <laughs> oh, almost, Richard Lewis. That was amazing. It. Because I remember... When he go, the when the, the guy rides him back, the club owner rides him back to the apartment. Yeah, he sold out, had the greatest show of all yeah, time. Yeah, and the guy wouldn't give it up for him. Yeah, because he was afraid that Richard would ask for more money the next year. Yeah, isn't that what it was? Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, it really went well. I said, oh, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I I love that because you you know he had a big effect on me when I was younger because like I used to watch Letterman at the beginning. And I was a Woody Allen fan. And my initial thing with Richard was like, this guy's doing a, a very sort of hyper Woody Allen. And and then as I, as I saw him more, you realize like, well, they just they, they just come from the same region. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, you know, he's just equally as neurotic, if not more, but it was genuine. Yes. And, you know, and then after a while, you, you would watch him do the panel thing. I always built my, my sense of when I was on Conan... And I became a panel guest. It was because of Richard Lewis because I did like Conan twice stand up. And then I'm like, how do I get to be, you know, your Richard Lewis? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I want to sit down because uh, because Richard Lewis used to sit down. Oh, that's really cool. And then like and then I was doing it. And when I met him, I was so lucky. He's the only guy, the only guest in the history of WTF that required uh, a car because he, he doesn't like driving. It makes him panicky. And then there was always part of me with Richard Lewis was like, you resolve none of this? I mean, <laughs> but <laughs> nothing's better. You know, uh, but he's really, and I'd forgotten when he came over, it was early. He was still a little tired, 11 in the morning. And, and just sitting with him, you know, at, at this age, I, you know, he is so fucking funny. He's so fucking fast. You know, his brain, you know, it's like you, you know, there's, it's always working these problems, you know, the joke problem. You know, it's interesting what you say, too, because I really believe that he is the embodiment of what Woody Allen would have been had he stayed a stand-up. Stayed a stand-up. Because to me, the, I feel there's no comparison between the Woody Allen stand-up and the classic movies. To me, that you know, right. I think they're great. I mean, right. maybe if I'd seen him live, but the stand-up is more like, it's clever and there's funny stuff to it, but it's almost funnier when it's in Annie Hall, you know? And but it's I like, think... I mean, I, I shouldn't really even put, it's not even to put Woody Allen down, but I just felt like Richard Lewis was like doing what... He's a real what, comic. ...what the movies were like I think that in, in, in looking at the history of things, I think that Woody Allen couldn't wait to stop doing comedy. Yeah, except he was, if you saw that documentary, you saw how great he was when he would go on uh, for a while. He was going on all these talk shows no, no, and just great. And, and, and ad-libbing. Like, how about when he went on the Oscars a few years ago after... That was great too, yeah. Like it was almost like time had stopped. I couldn't see him though because I play the lanes... 
every uh, Monday uh-huh. and Hosanna, yeah. watch the Academy Awards. I always play the lanes. <laughs> play clarinet. Yeah, sure you I, I choose to play a, an instrument that I, that I will never be truly great at. <laughs> the difference between Richard and Woody Allen is I think I don't think Woody Allen is as fucked up as his character. And I think Richard Lewis is equally, is just as fucked up as his character. Some people have problems with Woody Allen's private life. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hear. I, hear he's I, I start crying if people talk about it too long. You do? Yeah. Because you I, don't want to think about it? I really don't. I really don't want to not. Wa- I, I don't want to not like the movies. I don't, and I don't want. Well, I don't know that that you have to. I'm not sure. I'll right. never not like those movies. Of course, I don't. But where do you stand on that? Even it's if like, he was Hitler, if it turns out he was Hitler, yeah. <laughs> if Hitler made Annie Hall, I would still like Annie, Annie Hall. Hall. I think. I think, and I don't. I don't have any problem with that point of view. Right, but it's a little bit. I think I'm maybe pulling it. Yeah, because they always say that about Picasso. He wasn't very nice. I can't. I can't get into the backstory with everybody. Well, no, but even if you get into the backstory, I mean, I read Please Kill Me, you know, and Lou Reed, you know, that is never going to be the same for me. But yeah, I'm still going to listen to Velvet Underground. I mean, it's like, what do we expect out of artists? Okay, maybe you know, Woody Allen did some things that were bad and dubious and and not necessarily uh, uh, wholesome. Uh, but th- but there's one part of me that says, yeah, that's awful. But does that erase his body of work? No, no. no. And also, does it make him any less a comic? Don't make him more a comic it's like that's the weird thing about comics i mean you you stay in this world long enough but there's very little you're not going to see and there's very little you're not going to hear about so there's some point <laughs> at some point you know like uh when you hear something shitty you're like ah it's a fucking artist guy you know what i mean can i can i can i dismiss it like that i mean because people have said why do you like women have written me emails saying you know why, why do you give woody allen a pass i'm like i'm i, I don't know it's not because i don't because the thing is you don't give it's it, People, when they go to that point, they go, are you then saying that it, it was okay, okay to do this specific act? <laughs> no. You're saying you're justifying that. No, no but saying- you're just saying it's not black and white and, uh, you know. But, you know, one thing I was going to say, a very seminal thing was when you had Tom Sharpling on. Because yeah. Tom Sharpling, yeah, I- then when just when you had saved my life, yeah. then I found Sharpling. And the way I found Sharpling was on your show. When he talked about how he came up to you after shows, and then and, oh, right, right, and then right. you did the, and when you did that show where you said, "Well, you end up working in a record store someplace," yeah. and so that turned me into shopping, and that became a, another savior. And then the best, the, the best combo, the combo, yeah, of you two, yeah, you like that? Oh, come on. <laughs> It's the best. <laughs> that should be available, piped in instead yeah, of I, elevator music. I, that doesn't I, sound right. No, I, we got to do more of those. But actually. he, oh, the one thing with Sharpling, what he does is, he makes me laugh at people who I love. Like I loved Jim Morrison in the Doors. I never yeah. realized he was fucked up yeah. until uh, Sharpling start, when ta- when Sharpling starts describing these people and he takes them down. I still like. I can still like the Dead. I love the Dead, but yeah. he'll take them down, and yeah. you can't help but laugh. <laughs> <laughs> really, he makes you laugh at the Grateful yes, Dead. Yes, he, he he hates like uh, he just he goes nuts on Jim Morrison, like about how upset must the rest of the band members be every time he'd show up to the session. Oh, look at look at Jim, not ready. Or he doesn't like Tom, or how much he doesn't like Tom Waits. He hates Tom Waits. <laughs> <laughs> He's something. So uh, I turned you on to Sharpling. Oh, I had never listened to his show. Yeah. Be- yet, and I felt it helped. Not that I wouldn't have loved it, but the fact that he talked about how he was influenced by these guys who said, get, get off my phone and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that made yeah. me like, because the more I listened, I had written him an email early on saying like, just almost like uh, too long an email about yeah. how much I, I love what he yeah. did. And I realized later on that it's his car- his person is really him, but yeah. there's still a, like, it's it, like he when, he goes, a- uh, right, Mi- when he goes, right, Mike, right, Mike, right, <laughs> Mike. I just love that. <laughs> Have you done a show? 
No, but I, because only because I haven't been uh, in, New in, in New Jersey. But I'm up. I think he. Uh, I think I might call in. We've, t- we've been yeah, in, you should call. We're in negotiations. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's been very. He's the sweet. Uh, uh, the sweetest guy. I, he, I had lunch with him out here. He's another guy that. Uh, that I don't think I would have met. Never. If, if if it weren't for this show, and you had a whole thing with him, like remember, because I have the same thing, like too. Like, why are they loving this? Like you said, there was a whole group of people loved his thing, yeah, and they were yeah. like, "Well, what's happening over there?" Yeah, yeah. And that was another great show when the uh, guys from uh, was it Besser? Yeah, Matt Besser. All those three got, uh, things were great. Of your perception of what it was like over at the UCB, right? And what their perception was, right? Yeah, like because they they were just happy to be part of something, and and and, and I was the one going like, oh, yeah, oh, you're yeah. gonna put your little monkey costume on tonight? <laughs> what are you gonna be? You're gonna be the princess, and he's gonna be a, a Rapunzel. What is it gonna be? <laughs> Rapunzel? Are you doing the Rapunzel bit? <laughs> yeah. What are you guys gonna do tonight? What's gonna be, what fake uh, setup in the audience is gonna prompt hilarity for you guys? <laughs> did you listen to the Paul Krasner one? I did listen to the Paul Krasner. That was great because I didn't know that he came up with the term yippies. Yeah. And that would only be important to a certain generation of people. Like, you know, there's like a lot of times I talk to people and I realize, like, how am I going to get 25 year olds interested? You know, who's going to care? But like those guys are so important to me. I, I drove to Desert Hot Springs, you know, to, to do the Paul Krasner thing. And like when I drove out there, I was completely, you know, I was all sort of like, oh, he's going to got great stories about Lenny Bruce. But then he realized it's like, no, he just wants to talk about Paul Krasner. Right, and, right. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, because he, yeah, he does not going to give up that thread yeah. going through. No. No, and, and and no one really does. You know, there's very few people that will be like, you know, I I'm going to take my time to talk about this other guy, right? Joe Rogan. Uh, Joe, I'm afraid of him. I yeah, don't want okay. him to punch me. Conan O'Brien. That was really great. Yeah, because that was uh, that was also around the same time then that all the stuff was happening. Oh, after, but yeah, but he was like, yeah, I I was very thrilled with that one too because you really got to see like he's very hard on himself and you know he's a he's a he's a deep guy I like him. Jimmy Fallon. Well, you know I have issues with Jimmy Fallon. All right, okay. All but right. Uh, wait, wait. Now, you say, now, let me ask you a question, though. Yeah. When you say that, see, here's the problem with life. We're, we're supposed to be loosey-goosey now. Yeah. We say anything we want, and but, we don't but care this is anymore. Like, but this is like, I, I'm really just looking for things that were, where you were like- um, Oh, okay. You don't want you don't want my necessarily my hard edge take on it. No, them. I just I, <laughs> like, like I, there are moments where, because I've had the moments when I talk to these people where my entire disposition or attitude about them changes because I didn't really, I find that I didn't really know them as people. I would you say know? this. He seems to be a person on guard. I didn't learn a lot about him. But he's a friendly guy and he's a fun guy. He's a guy. friendly guy, yeah. And, but uh, how about the Todd Hansen? That was maybe the- I, I Facebook messaged him after that. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying like that. Like, hey, I went I went the whole route. Yeah. No, but I mean, that was that just tore me. It tore me apart because the thing that was so fascinating about that was that when he was saying, like he would say how sad he was. Yeah. And then his friends would, he was able to communicate how he saw the, how his friends it would drag them down, yeah. but he just couldn't Stop change it. it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I had never, I never really quite got that insight before into somebody. Yeah. And how about the fact that you have a recording of him yelling from the live? Because you talked about yeah, how, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's well, you right. said, "What's wrong with being?" You said, "What's wrong I'm with being, being sad?" S- sad, yeah. and you he went, "Hey, woo!" Sometimes it's not about the funny. Sometimes it's about the sad. <laughs> yeah, and he went, "Woo!" That's right. Um, what about the Todd Glassing? Did that surprise you? Unbelievable. That yeah. was a. Uh, Did it surprise you though? I mean, you've known him as long as I have. Uh, you know, here's the thing. To be totally honest, I've been sleeping with Todd since the <laughs> '40s. No, I had maybe heard 
Todd is like so beloved. Yeah. But maybe I've heard somebody every once in a while. I don't ever know when anyone's gay. I I don't think Rich. I don't think Paul Lynn was gay. I think Richard Simmons is a confirmed bachelor. <laughs> I still don't understand a confirmed. You bachelor. could be a. Uh, you could order s- s- pan seared sea scallops. <laughs> Right in front of me. And the only thing, only thing about Todd Glass that was hurt me, though, not hurt me, was that I felt like that I was more hesitant to, within a comfortable environment, make uh, use the gay oh, uh, right, thing. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I, yeah he, he was pretty into that. Yeah, yeah. so but so, so whenever I uh, will want to say that, where I think it's a, like, you know, where obviously you're not, it's yeah. not a 14-year-old kid. Yeah. So you're just saying whatever the thing yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, like uh, Nick Swartz and I have this running bit about... Does this word sound gay? And yeah. The word is uh, sea biscuit, and they no, it doesn't sound gay. So with it, like like Swarton does a bit about how I'll yeah. come up with a different word when a better word comes yeah. up for it. So, yeah. uh, so he made so, me a little, uh, uh, but that's good. Like, that uh, but that's not like I'm uh, a raging anti uh, homophobic guy right. behind closed doors. Right. How about the Jeffrey Tambor? Do you like that? I didn't listen to that one. Okay. He's all a Scientologist. Right. Not anymore. <laughs> He's not anymore. No. I love though that the thing that you are slightly hurt that I missed a couple of shows. No, but what do you want from me? I thought you know this was all about me and and you listen to everything. Um, <laughs> I are you just you're not upset? You're disappointed in me. Did you listen to the Rick Shapiro one? That was amazing. Okay, now there's a guy. Here's oh here here's a perfect example. Yeah, that may have been the greatest thing I've ever heard, and I know <laughs> I'm guilty of hyperbole. In fact, I do a joke that doesn't work, which said. I had the greatest weekend a couple of weekends ago, yeah. life-changing experience. I went to a hyperbole convention. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. The joke's over. Yeah. People want more. Yeah. I didn't know what to make of him. I'd seen him in Amsterdam and met him at a I mean, Rotterdam Festival. And he was like one of those guys where when you don't know someone well, you kind of like draw certain conclusions but that are ready to be filled in later. But it was like, you know, you put people into the gym from taxi category yeah, 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 or whatever. Sure. And so I didn't know what to make of him even when I saw his act. Yeah. But when I when I heard him on your show, I, I just thought he was a, first of all brilliant, yeah. And secondly of all, when he would stop on a dime yeah. and look at how hurt he was, yeah. And then he made you look at your behavior yeah. because you did say to him something like, "Oh, you're doing that thing." Uh, it seems so innocuous when you said it, right? Right. But he's so sensitive. But he yeah. and so that I thought was like, and also again learning things about uh, the New York scene. Right. That I ne- didn't know, which was really kind of good when you did the guy who claimed that Tony Clifton's still alive. Yeah, Bob Zamuda. But that yeah. was great, but you can't stop with him, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like no. at certain points, you're like, come on. I felt like, look, I don't want to hear about the gangster guy with the. I get, okay, so he said, and he left, and there was one muffin left. <laughs> was that the idea? Yeah. And I'll one. take that muffin. It just seemed like they, when they left that bakery, everyone was like naked and had been violated and stuff like that. Take off your thing. And, and then so. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. It was uh, yeah, he's a good storyteller. That guy. He is a good storyteller. But you ever you ever see uh, uh, the slums of Beverly Hills? Yeah. And when he sure. recounts about stabbing the finding out the guy stole the steak. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's sad. But okay, so like in in conclusion here on the three hundredth episode, I am thrilled that my show has had such a profound effect on you, and flattered that uh, that you think so much of it. You know what's so hard about it in a way is like I realize now that I am, it's hard. Like I don't feel like I can't be myself. But I, I also feel like when I come on, I don't want to fuck it up. No, you're not fuck <laughs> you know it. what I mean, though. It's like I just feel like well, when I, you're. It's like when I used to do Doctor Cat. I'll give you an example. I used to do Doctor Cats. Yeah, it was very hard. Yeah, not to get into the rhythm yeah. of Jonathan Cats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. I don't want to become like. Uh, I don't want to be trying to be uh, interjecting. And that's the, one of the things I think was the most spiritual thing that you said that I don't think you remember saying because I pointed out at the party was, you said. It, 
that you were getting better at not caring about what you thought about right. the thing. And yeah. that's an amazing lesson to learn. It's it's kind of liberating to know that even your own idea of what you're doing, yeah. you can even let that go. You have to. You know? Yeah, it's harder with stand-up. But you know when you know you're talking to people that that other people revere or or might not know or or have an impression of or or you know I've never heard before like that like my needs have to be secondary. I wish I could do that with more of my life, and that, I think that's the big trick of the whole spirituality thing. Yeah, if you can uh, make it. Yeah. Well, I assume that you're that way all the time. I have to say one more thing. Yeah. Is that the uh one the one that I thought you when a uh, what is it a, Peabody? You, yeah, was the one when you went with uh the comedian. In Texas. Oh, yeah, Lucas Melendez. Oh. The Alamo. And that started what I think is probably 75% of your pre show conversation is about barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> you just, I, I told him not to get the hot. He went to get the hot. Yeah. And so that was amazing because that was almost like an NPR with a uh, comedy thing. You were interviewing people at that. Uh, yeah, it was the Alamo, and then you went out to a. Uh, yeah. Some kind of celebration. Yeah, later. yeah, conjunto music. Yeah. And you could hear what was happening with yeah, the yeah. Alamo guy in yeah. real time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. whereas I like, put the camera yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. And Lucas was, was amazing. He's a sweet guy. Yeah, so. Well, I, I'm so happy that uh, we're friends and that uh, you enjoy the show so much. I don't yeah. think anyone enjoys it. Uh, you know, that in, in my circle, you, you've always been very supportive and, and, and shared, uh, you know, your love of the show. And I and I uh, appreciate that. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate it too. And I, I'm very thankful for our friendship i yeah. really am and the thing is it's good that you have a uh as a, rather in the old days where i go oh that guy's coming around no yeah. uh no it's just good you have this thing going on and i'm excited i am literally able to be excited about it without getting into the en- uh, envy thing so i can enjoy it that's another level of that's uh, another level and not just this that lip service yeah thanks andy you got it brother what the fuck That was the amazing Andy Kindler, whom I love. I will tell you that right now. And as we close this 300th episode, I just want to thank all of you for listening to the show. I want to thank all of my guests for, you know, allowing me to talk to them and allowing me to talk to them uh, as people. And, 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 and thank them for giving their time and, and part of their lives to this show. And also, I want to thank everybody that's involved in any way with making this show happen. You know who you are. Uh, I've learned a lot from, from all of you who are listening. I've learned a lot from all of my guests in, in a very deep and real way. This show has had a profound effect on me, and I, I can't uh, really illustrate that enough. I will keep doing it. I will keep learning about you and uh, I keep learning about myself uh, through through my guests and through uh, you know just my day to day life. I this I think this is a sort of a, a, maybe we'll, we can end on this email maybe. What the psychological fuck question, dear Mark? Originally, I was going to compose an email regarding circumcision due to a conversation I had recently with a friend, but I've decided against it since you probably receive those sorts of emails all the time. Hmm. There's so much fucking shit going through my head. I have no idea what to write or where to start. Okay, I have a few questions. One, do you believe you would have a better or normal relationship with food if your mother hadn't suffered from an eating disorder? Uh, Yes, of course. Two, do you believe you'll ever reach a point in your life when you are completely satisfied with what you see in the mirror? Yes, not completely, but it does happen sometimes. Thank you for asking. Three, have you ever been or are you currently afraid of Jessica leaving you? 
yes, I am, I am currently uh, and usually afraid of anybody leaving me, even if they just you know, hang out in the garage for an hour. Four, after reading the previous question, did you doubt your relationship with Jessica? Yes, but no more than usual. It comes and goes all day long, uh, every day. Five, are you truly yourself on your podcast or is the Mark Heard a persona? Uh, it's Mark on the microphone. I talk a little quicker. I talk from a different place in my gut because I'm on a microphone, but it's, it's pretty much me. Do you emphasize emotional sincerity? As much as I can handle emotional sincerity, yes, uh, I do, but it's frightening for me. And that's you know an ongoing thing. If you listen, you know. Six, do you believe that the majority of comedians grew up in difficult environments? I, I think uh, many of them did, yes. Uh, and I, I think that the show is a testimony to that. Not all of them. Mark, you're exceedingly swell, though are you able to accept and believe compliments? Sarah, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I do appreciate that one. And I appreciate, uh, again, everything that's happened here. Hold on. I'm going to open the door. Boomy. Boomy. Dude, it's the 300th episode. Boomer. Hey, buddy. Hey, Boomy. All right. I guess we'll just have to wait till the 400th on this. What were you expecting uh, coming over here? Coming to this place? Yeah. <laughs> you and I have, have, have reached, a, personally with you, we've reached a, a little bit more of a, what's that called? A, understanding. An understanding, an equilibrium, mm -hmm. where it's not necessarily immediately you attacking me. Yeah. So I, I, I driving up the hill, yeah. I felt a little bit Orson Wellesian. I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to the fucking cat ranch. And, yeah. You know, I pictured you sitting in the throne and the cats are just <laughs> meowing at your feet. <laughs> You know, vanquished foe skulls and that sort of thing. Peter, come in. <laughs> I mean, this is your turf. Yeah. It's badass. Petting, petting two large cats. Yeah. <laughs> They're the cats from right. Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. But I mean, uh, I, I didn't know it would be this gorgeous. It's mm -hmm. a gorgeous house. Thank you. And this welcoming, yeah. I, I will say. Oh, thank you. Not that I thought, I thought maybe it would be like, here, like, you ready to do this, fucker? Or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a delight. Too early for that. It is too early for that. But that that's what's fun about... Did you say it's been a delight? What's uh, Which it's part? It's been a delight. I did, did say it's been, been a delight. It has been a delight. It has been a delight. I think that the day that Boomer comes back in here and meows might just sync up with the day where I have complete self-acceptance and I'm completely able to deal with life on, on its own terms. Boomer, you better not come in. I just uh, prophesied something that I'm not prepared to deal with yet. Thanks, you guys. <laughs>